Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Corey Gardner. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 103. I'm, of course, Josh Burton, and joining me today is my teammate, Phil Dexter, and back with us for the month of March that we're going to talk about, Peyton Burton rejoins the show. Corey Gardner will hopefully be back with us here soon. Of course, baseball duties, but fellas, we are in March. Best time of the year, man. It's like Christmas for a basketball fan, baby. We are seven days away. It's March, baby. Let's go. Let's go. First official bid punch last night in the Ohio Valley Conference. We're going to talk all about that more. But it is the month of March. It is Christmas, like Phil said, for basketball junkies like ourselves. This whole next of the month is going to be a sprint, baby. It's not a marathon. It is a dead sprint to the national championship, both men's and women's tournaments. We've got high school tournaments across the country going on. What a time to be alive. My favorite time of the year. Absolutely, man. Like I said, it's basically uh, an entire month of Christmas for basketball fans. Started last night, like you said, uh, OVC. We had a ticket punched. We'll have a ticket punched today in the A-Sun um, and, the, and in the NBC. Yep, Missouri Valley. We'll get more into that later. But, uh, yeah, man, it's it's that time of year where you can just – you turn on a free game is must win. It's It's awesome. It's it's nuts. Peyton, before you get into yours, I know you're you're got some stuff you want to talk about real quick too. But before we get into that, um, you guys heard the new intro. We got to give some love to producer John. Um, you've heard Jim Coyle on the show with us last week. He does a lot of producing for Jim Coyle, amongst other uh, podcasts and radio shows. He hooked us up with a brand new intro. I hope you guys like that. We decided to debut it today. So send your love to producer John. We'll link his Twitter um, on our Twitter account. Go send him some love. Tell him how much you appreciate it because that's a pretty badass little intro he sent us. Yeah, when he sent that intro to my email, um, he sent us three of them. We're going to probably switch around by a couple of them um, almost every episode. But, yeah, they're all three dope. I'm excited he did that. And uh, what I was going to say is I don't think there's a better atmosphere in sports than a really good, like, high-pressure playoff basketball game. Doesn't matter if it's NBA, college, or high school, especially college and high school. We just went to our sectional championships. Um, our Edinburgh team, they've been on the show before. Go check out those two episodes we did. We'll have another one coming up here very, very soon this upcoming week. Uh, they just won the sectional championship out on our, on our home court. And that atmosphere was as loud as it gets. And man, I am so happy it's March. We are seven days away. I am so pumped, baby. Yeah, shout out to the, our adopted high school team here at ECV, the Edinburgh Lancers, win the sectional championship. Like Peyton said, we'll have episode three with them, heading into the regionals next week, following their journey to the tourney. Um, so stay tuned for that. But here in the next five to ten minutes, we'll be joined by um, by our good friend, our resident bracketologist, Dan Vasta, will be joining the show here in the next couple minutes. Before we get into that, Peyton, right before we went to air, we had late-breaking news in the world of college basketball. I know – you and Phil take care of the recruiting side of things. So go ahead and break the news for everybody that just came out as we hit record. Yeah, so Joe Tempton of Tempton Edits on Twitter, he just tweeted about it. It says, breaking news, 2022 point guard Sky Clark 
has decommitted from Kentucky and, and will reopen his recruitment. Now, it literally, I'm not even kidding, this news just broke out at 12 noon a time. So we're just coming on the edge of that. And we were just thinking about it. What, he probably knows something. Either someone's coming back or that really means, I think, because Brian Foster just commented on the Summer's Facebook post about it, Shane Sharp's probably coming back next year. Well, Phil, and we were like I said, we were talking about this right before we went live on air, so we didn't have a whole lot of time to dive into it. But Sky Clark was one of the first commitments in that class for this next year for the Kentucky Wildcats. He's been solid throughout. So we alluded to it a little bit. It either means, like Peyton said, he knows something that dudes are coming back. You mentioned Severe Wheeler. He's probably heard maybe he's coming back. Shaden Sharp. Somebody's coming back to where he feels maybe my playing time's not going to be what it was, which in the long run is good for Kentucky because anytime you can get experienced guys back, as we've seen this year, it's a good thing. You don't want to lose Scott Clark, but it's a good thing. Or there's the other option you have to touch on. Somebody, somebody being obviously another college coach or two, has gotten in his ear and promised him a bunch of stuff. Well, and something that sort of just clicked in my head and, uh, you know, I, I don't have any information on this, obviously, but I wonder if maybe somebody's in his ear about trying to get some money and go play in, in the G League, too. Um, you know, that's a definite possibility as well. So I'll be interested to see. But like you guys said, he definitely knows something. You don't just decommit this late in the process to to a blue blood school like that when you've been committed as long as he has. Um If, if there's nothing going on, he, he either knows somebody's coming back. It wouldn't surprise me if that somebody was shading. Uh, also wouldn't surprise me at, uh, if Severe was going to be back and uh, he just, you know, sees the writing on the wall that there's not going to be a whole lot of playing time for him. Which is crazy. Like I said, it's not necessarily a bad thing. If Kentucky knows, if Shade, or Sky Clark knows for a fact that these guys are coming back, then it's a good thing for the program. This is the state and this is a good thing. But joining us now. As welcoming to episode 103, welcome back to the show. Joining us now is, we consider him ECB's resident bracketologist. He joined us a few, about a month ago, a few episodes back. Joining us again today, Dan Vasta. Dan, what is up, my friend? Hey, great time. Thanks for having me on, guys. What, what a time to be uh, alive and join March. I think it's probably my favorite sports time of the year. Certainly enjoy many of them, but this is the time where uh, we're only a week away from Selection Sunday, so great to be on. Lots to get into. Yeah, we were. I, I know Phil's got some stuff he'll lead off with you, but we were just talking about um, the atmosphere. Is how lucky it is we're in March finally. We we went to our uh, local high school state tournament game last night. Atmosphere is ridiculous. We've already had a bid punch. We're going to talk about here a little bit later in the show in the Ohio Valley. It's a great time, but we just talked about breaking news before we went on air. Sky Clark from Kentucky decommits from Kentucky. Uh, we were kind of talking about maybe what led to that ramifications. Um, I know, again, we call you our bracketologist, but do you kind of follow that world of recruiting as well? Not as religiously as the, the bracketology, but certainly I'll follow the commitments because certainly that has a big impact on the preseason rankings, which does impact ultimately uh, my bracketology, which I'll once it gets to close to Halloween or after Labor Day, I'm already kind of mapping out who I think is going to be the way too early top one seeds. And sometimes that's losing kiss of death for a couple teams. But as we know, that's why they play the games, and that's kind of the excitement. But certainly a program like Kentucky, uh, I think, will we'll be okay and certainly looking not too shabby at, at the moment. Absolutely. Phil, um, are you are you good right now? It looks like maybe he froze up for a minute there. Phil, you with us? 
All right, looks like Phil froze up. Hopefully, you can get that fixed. We'll jump it. But hey, Dan, obviously, we had you on a couple episodes back. We talked about your your mythology, breaking down how you you know preview and break down your brackets. We're a week away from Selection Sunday. We've got a lot of turmoil as far as you know. We seen Liberty lose last night. They were yeah. the favorite in their conference, and they take an L to a team that's not even eligible for the tournament. So right. that's going to essentially be a bid stiller because Jacksonville state is taking that bid now. Um, how are we looking at the bracket? It seems that we've got still about six teams vying for a one seed, the two seeds. That seed line is so fluctuating and term turmoil right now. I want to hear your thoughts as we're seven days away. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's certainly, like you mentioned those six teams, I, I think Arizona Gonzaga uh, are looking pretty much mortal locks where they don't even have to win another game, in my opinion. They'll be that one seed. The Big 12 is going to get somebody in. So I think Baylor, Kansas, I give the slight lean to Baylor, where as long as they can avoid losing a quarterfinal game, I think they're pretty much a mortal lock. They can get to the semis. They'll get a third, that'd be that third team to get a one seed. The fourth is where it kind of is going to be very intriguing. If Kansas were to lose early in the Big 12 tournament, say the quarterfinals, then I think that would probably eliminate them and we'd get a fourth team to, to jump in. And that's where Auburn, I think, would have a great chance to probably steal that one. They'll be my favorite. Don't want to count out uh, Kentucky because certainly they can win the SEC tournament, but they're going to have to obviously, uh, I think, to help them, they may have to beat Auburn or at least look impressive and have a couple decent wins. You'd like to think they're going to have to beat somebody pretty darn good uh, with the way that Arkansas, Tennessee been playing. So that's kind of about it. Purdue's been on the on the downswing a little bit. Wisconsin, uh, some call it smoke and mirrors, but here they are, regular season champs. Duke, I think, last night pretty much eliminated themselves in a pretty watered-down ACC. So you mentioned those six teams. That's kind of the pecking order as we're only a week away. Yeah, and of those six, I know, like I said, Phil's having audio issues. He'll hopefully get back and get okay. solid with us. Peyton's got some stuff, but – we just had a Facebook comment on the live stream here. Again, guys, we're live on Facebook right now, our Twitter page and YouTube. Any one of those three platforms, join in, join the conversation with us with our special guest, Dan Vosta, right now. Um, it does seem like some of those teams are playing themselves off the one line right now. So the, the bubble's shrinking. That SEC tournament this upcoming week is going to be insane. Insane. Not only for the top four seeds, the Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, but we talked about it last week with one of our guests, Matt Sack. Um, I think Vanderbilt could be a surprise team because yep. you never know with Scottie Pippen Jr., LSU, Atari Easton, if they learn how to finish the game. But with the SEC tournament, especially between the one and two lines, you have those top four seeds. If I guess let's go down real quick. Obviously, if Auburn wins it, they're a one seed, you would have to think. If yep. Kentucky can win it, I still think they can be a one seed. Is that kind of the, the same mentality and wavelength that you're on with that? Absolutely. I think you're looking at the bracket right now. I mean, good chance we might see Kentucky, Tennessee in the semi. So that would be a big time win for whoever gets through it. But in, in the one case, in the one seed case for Kentucky, that, that would be a big benefit if they can get past the balls. And then if they meet up with either Auburn or Arkansas, you get two big time wins in the last two days of the season. I, I would be hard pressed to not see Kentucky get that last spot. Um, I think the only thing preventing somehow and, I, and the reason why I look at it would be Kansas got drubbed by Kentucky earlier in the year. If it comes down to those two uh, and Kentucky wins the SEC tournament and Kansas perhaps doesn't, certainly big edge of Kentucky. We'll see how that plays out to see what Baylor and Kansas do. Early exits would, would really hurt them, and I think that's where Kentucky 
would potentially that's their kind of their, their path, I think, to get a one seed. They got to win the conference tournament and hope we don't see a Baylor Kansas Big 12 title game because if we do, perhaps, and I know some won't be, will be faithful and maybe the best uh, fans in the world, DBN. Kentucky still may not get a one seed, which I know won't make some happy, but one, two seeds, it's gold jacket, green jacket, some type of saying. Certainly the path, the draw you get, certainly much more relevant, and most importantly, how you're playing. So Kentucky gets a two and they win the SEC tournament. Hey, I'll take them with anybody in the country, and then that's why they play the game. So looking forward to that, the SEC tournament, the semis, I think I would probably stack up with almost anybody. And Big Ten, Big 12 could be some good ones. But the SEC, if you get Auburn, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, if you get chalk prevailing, that's going to be a lot of fun. So there is a path for Kentucky. But uh, strong at least as a two seed. So still looking, lots to play for, but certainly looking really good at the moment. Well, before I pass off to Peyton to stay on the SEC thought, um, this morning Lenardi released kind of his his seed orientation. And Kentucky's mm-hmm. still the six, which would be the number two, two seed. Um, and, and if you go back to the committee release and their, their top 16 reveal, the big question was revolving why Kansas is a one, Kentucky's a two. Well, they said it's because you can't go head to head because those two aren't on the same, you know, they're yeah. not comparison right now, which is crazy to me because, like, we've all talked about Kentucky yeah. went into Allen Fieldhouse and drubbed them. I think if both teams went out, just the eye test, um, yeah. the head to head, the strength of schedule, everything, to me, Kentucky's a one seat. But I want to be four pass off to Peyton and Phil. Staying on the SEC, Arkansas and Tennessee, either one of them go ahead and win the SEC tournament. Are they looking at potential as high as a two seed for both of them? I think, I mean, you're, you could get one of them. Obviously, whoever, if one of those two, Tennessee, Arkansas, were to win the SEC tournament, yeah, I think there's a path for them to, to move up to that two line. I Right now, I think they're in that range. I have Tennessee as a three. Arkansas is my top five right now. So I think it would be a little more of a challenge for the Razorbacks that lost yesterday. I think they'll move up to a three ultimately if they win the SEC. But Tennessee's case, yeah, I believe if they do win the – they're right there right there with Nova as my top three. So if they were to win out in the SEC tournament, win that tournament, they will be a two, and they'll probably bump the likes of either Duke in a watered-down ACC or potentially Wisconsin who may have a couple tough matchups in the Big Ten. So, yeah, I think Tennessee can move to a two. Arkansas may have to settle for a three-slash-four. But, man, the top four in the SEC I would take with – with right now anybody in the country. Peyton, I know you got some stuff for Dan. Yes, I most definitely do. I missed the last episode that you were on the show, um, which I listened to about five times now because you guys did a great job together. Uh, So shout out to all four of you guys there who did that show. However, I do have a question about Indiana. I know Cordy's not here. He's an Indiana fan. Um, I live in the state of Indiana. I am a Louisville fan. I know personally the only chance the Louisville has of making the tournament is when the ACC tournament probably won't happen, so I won't even ask about them. Indiana, though, they just lost to Rutgers, and they just lost a two-point game to Purdue at Arena. Me, personally, if you ask me, I don't think they're in the tournament at all. Now, according to you, do you think, what does Indiana have to do in the, in the Big Ten tournament to get in the tournament besides winning the damn thing? Right, yeah, so they're my last team in at this very moment. So that certainly can change after today since seemingly the entire Big Ten is, is playing today. Right now they're, they're slated at that nine seed at the moment with a 9-11 and 11 conference record. So they're going to have to beat Wisconsin minimum to get to the semis, and I would go even a step farther than that. They're going to have to, I think, minimum get to the Big Ten championship game because the old advantage, there's going to be bid thieves where an example would be the Atlantic 10 might get two-plus teams in. Davidson right now, we believe, is going to win the tournament. 
Some don't think so, but they're probably going to get as at large. Potentially, there's other conferences out there that have a safe, secure team, and then a second or third get in by winning, you know, the conference tournament. So to be on the safe side, you're going to have to beat Wisconsin, and you're going to have to beat somebody really good in that four or five semi matchup, which, you know, we, that's going to be a tough matchup. You might have somebody like Ohio State or Iowa. So that's big two wins right there. So I think if they can win those two games, get to the Big Ten title game. You might not even have to win that, but if you're at that point, you might as well just win. Well, in, well Indiana's road to hoe is brutal. They've put themselves yeah. in a bad spot. I think they're a nine seed playing Michigan State in that first yeah. game for them. Mm-hmm. Then they'll get Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. I know they've had – we had Jim Coyle on last week from Indiana Sports Beat Radio. They had Indiana – or they had Wisconsin dead right twice. So it's not like they can't play right. with them. But that's a tough road to hoe for the Hoosiers. They yeah. put themselves in a bad spot. But it's funny, before I let Phil take over – they were out after the Rutgers game. Everybody thought that was a play-in game, essentially. They lose that. But then after they lose to Purdue in a close one yesterday, Lenardi and yourself and others have slid them back in the last four in. Yeah. So is that is, just is that just yeah. the basis of the bubble being so weak that other teams lose and actually propelled Indiana? Yeah. I mean, I don't like always saying historically weak because the bubble more times than not is not very strong, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, BYU lost late last night to San Fran. Had they won, I would have probably bumped Indiana out of the field. Uh, it's amazing because we talked last time about Indiana and how they're kind of catching fire. Yeah. I think they're coming up with Purdue. And I said they just got to win some games coming up. That historically, at least lately, since, what, 2012, they haven't, you know, been able to do. And it just se- seemed like forever they played Carolina in this in the North Carolina in the Sweet 16. That was like the last, per se, irrelevant Hoosier squad. And um, it's it's been a while, and uh, they, they got to get get it going because uh, the time is running out. They've, they've slipped a bunch of games here. And they've had some opportunities. And, uh, you know, Michigan's ahead of them. Rutgers ahead of them. So heavy lift and ahead for the Hoosiers if they, if they want to go dancing. Phil, it looks like you're back with us in solid here. So I know you got some stuff for Dan. Yeah, yeah, I am back. Apologies for the technical difficulties, guys. But, uh, Dan, I see your last four teams. It looks like are Michigan, Xavier, Indiana, and Memphis. I'm curious, outside of those four teams, who's just in right now but maybe still has some more work to do to really solidify that bid in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a couple of ACC teams, I mentioned Indiana, 2016 last dance. It seems even longer than that. But Wake Forest, Miami are two teams that I'm looking forward to uh, because one of them's likely going to match up with Duke, I believe, in the ACC semis because uh, Carolina and Notre Dame ahead of them in the, in the tournament. So I, I think they're both – I got them both as 10 seeds right now. If they were to suffer a tough loss, um, I could potentially see one of those slipping into potential 11 seed. Now you have bid thieves. Now you have an opportunity where maybe they may have to play in a playing game, which is nobody wants to sweat that one out come Selection Sunday. So those are two teams I'm looking at. The Mountain West, I think, will be a really underrated uh, conference tournament to watch because they don't really have too many dominant teams. Colorado State is my you know perennial favorite in terms of the seeds as an eight at the moment. I have Boise as a nine, San Diego State as a 10, and I have Wyoming as a low 10, which means a loss, probably it's gonna a bad loss at least, I think would put them in the playing game. And then you factor in the, the bid thieves. They could be, could be on the way out uh, or look, you know, just missing out a potential of a playing game, which you'd rather get in the term than be a top NIT seed. Uh, but I tell you what, the Mountain West is going to be very intriguing because there's so many teams that are going to be moving up and down a seed length, a bad loss. And you get some other, you know, teams that we're not talking about, like a Georgetown from last year, and they could bump themselves up. And uh, that, that's something the ACC is going to be very intriguing. But Mountain West has a handful of teams that I think can kind of leapfrog a couple teams that, as we know, a lot of teams in this conference tournament, like such as Rutgers and Michigan. Um, and we talk Indiana. A lot of these teams may lose in the first day or two. 
So that's where a team like the Mountain West Conference specifically that can move up if you get the big four or so, a majority get to the semis, and then one of those teams win. All of a sudden, you're developing quad one, at least quad two wins, and uh, you're going to propel yourself and make the dance. And there's other teams that, of course, falter. And when you get close, there's a chance that a couple of teams that you don't expect to get in do, and all of a sudden, you're on the outside and you're playing in the NIT. Yeah, so we show a lot of love this season to the Mountain West because they are deep. I'll give you one team under the radar that's been playing a little better to watch out for, and that's UNLV. Bryce Hamilton, yeah. UNLV, yeah. the running Rebs. I'm not saying they will, but I think they got a shot. Hey, I want to talk to you about the Missouri Valley. We got oh. the title game coming up at 2 yep. o'clock, just about the time we're in in this uh, recording today for episode 103. It's Loyal Chicago versus Drake. Drake beat them like a drum a few weeks ago. They beat twice this year, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's actually right. Um, but – I guess what I'm asking is Drake has to win to get in, but right. if Loyola loses, do you think they could steal um, an at-large bid still? Or do you think it's a win or must go, like a must win for them as well? Yeah, I think it's win or go home personally. I, I think they could, it doesn't mean if they lose today, they won't be in the field today. But as we know, a lot changes in seven hours, let alone seven days. So I think they'll probably still be in the field at the moment if they lose today, but I would Bet the ranch, summer ranch, a couple full seven ribs that they probably aren't going to make my selection Sunday or for the committee, rather, which is what we do next Sunday if they lose today. Because you lose to Drake three times. That's that's a bad look. This isn't a Drake team that is historically good by any means. Uh, certainly, they've, they've played well 2-0 so far. So, I think the Ramblers are their win big-time game today. And they've, they've really put the pressure on so far, the opposition in the conference. So, they've passed the eye test this, you know, the last two days. And I'm expecting a win today. But if they don't, I think they're going to feel like, hey, we let the we dropped the ball. We're probably going to have to play in the NIT. What a great job, real quick, before I pass it back off to Phil, by Drake. They lose their best player, yeah. Joseph Yesafu, to Kansas. Yeah. He's, he's essentially riding the bench, too. And yeah. now they've got a chance to go back to the tournament. Tremendous job by Drake and company. Yep. Absolutely. Phil, yeah. yeah, I'm with you. So uh, jumping back to a team that's maybe not really on the bubble anymore, but I think they were one of the more controversial bubble teams before last night's big win is uh, UNC. You had them up to an eight seed. Um, yep. How high can they potentially climb now if they were to make, say, a semifinal, even final, or win the ACC tournament? Yeah, it's funny because in the history of North Carolina, which is, is a, a big one, they've never entered the tournament as a double-digit seed. Yet some people still had them. They've never been a 10 seed, 11 seed. 12 seeds hard. I mean, playing games, now you can get that. But I think they can move up to be a six seed if they were to at least get to the ACC title game. Uh, some some still didn't have them in the field entering yesterday, which is beyond because some really just fall <laughs> out. Jerry Palm. <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not naming names. We, we don't trust him, so yeah, yeah, we, good. I was even watching CBS postgame last night. They said if they lose early, they could sweat it out, even <laughs> though they got one of the best wins this month in the, in the sport. But – um, yeah, I, mean, I think I got most people. I mean, Lunardi, I'm expecting. I know the homepage on ESPN has them. I think it still is a 10, but it, if you look at the date, he hasn't updated it officially, so it's still from, I think, Friday night. And he has them as a 10. Most, I think, on Bracket Matrix have run right around that 9-10 range prior to the Duke win. So I'm expecting um, that to move up to at least a 9. I think if they can get to the semis, they're they're a lock to be an 8-9 range. So I think with last night, they're, they don't have to win again. They can just quit the rest of the year and they'll still be fine. But their momentum and the way they're playing with Hubert Davis coaching them up, they're looking good to avoid that eight nine range where you got to play somebody like Arizona or Gonzaga and potentially get housed with their size and their bigs that can really expose Carolina. That six seven range I think is looking very tasty right now because you look at some of the three seeds not looking great. 
Um, so I think six is 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 possible because you you play like that last night. You're a top twenty five team. I test goes a far away. You do have a couple quad one wins now, and it's how you finish. That is a little factor that the committee will look at, and I think it helps that they don't play till say five o'clock central like the Big Ten does. Uh, that sometimes has been a disadvantage in years past. So probably that six seven range they can at least get to the semis and potentially get to the title game. So Josh mentioned it kind of earlier. He mentioned the Kentucky-Kansas game, which, by the way, ever since that happened, he loves mentioning that on the show because he's a Kentucky fan. I'm a Kansas fan. He just loves making fun of me for it. But anyhow, it's all good. Um, It's all in fun. I have a question about Kansas, though. Mm -hmm. The last – talking about the Kentucky game, they got absolutely drubbed in Allen Fairland House. That was about a month ago. The last four games, they lost to Baylor, even though they was up about 15 points or more early in that game. End up giving that away. Lost to TCU. Almost lost to TCU again. Had to make a comeback to beat them late. Now we barely just beat Texas in overtime to win a big a share of the Big 12 title. Has Kansas dropped it all for you in your brackets? I mean, not from the seed perspective, but I mean, I, I still have them as a one entering this morning here. But if they were to lose, I think, in the semis or quarters, they're, they're done being a one seed. I, I think they are probably the weakest of that top six on paper for me in terms of talent. Uh, but when you look at the actual paper for the quad, they got 10 quad one wins. So the committee's going to love that if they can at least get to the big 12 title game. I would say they got at least minimum 50% shot to get a one seed. So I, if you ask me what's going to happen next Sunday, if I can tell you, guarantee me that Kansas can get at least to the big 12 title game, I, I like their chances of getting a one seed. I know that won't make the Kentucky folks happy, maybe between them too. But if Kansas can avoid a bad loss and get a, you know, at least a good, you know, semifinal matchup victory, they got a decent shot. And ultimately, if they beat Baylor, obviously it's a it's a slam dunk, and then it potentially be between Baylor and Kentucky. So yeah, on paper they're they're not looking the sexiest, you know, eye test team that looking great because they still have their offensive woes. Uh, at times, Abaji hasn't been, you know, great. Brown has had issues at times scoring. That bench is the, the good Kansas teams have guys on the bench that can hang with starters, and they haven't been that dominant. McCormick was a stud last year. He's just he's not been that relevant. He's been very up and down. So yeah, they got some weaknesses. I'm not overly in love with this team, but I think with those quad one wins and if they can finish well in that tournament, they're they're probably looking at a one. But worst case, uh, they'll be locked up as a two, and we have seen them lose on the first weekend. So it's going to be intriguing to see what kind of draw they ultimately do get. Hey, Dan, shout out to our, uh, our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter followers. They're, they're constantly commenting and stuff. We have one, um, can't tell who it is just as Facebook user, but they in tongue in cheek said they're, they're going to give Duke that last number one. And I guess after that loss last night, you can throw out the window of coach K potentially picking his spot. That whole controversy this last week where it came out that, uh, he wanted right. to play in Chicago instead right. and everybody didn't understand. So, Boy, I guess he uh, he shouldn't have got drubbed by North Carolina last night for that to <laughs> for that to not matter now. Yeah, that, that was a tough loss. That was a game where pretty much I think everybody in America, even some Chapel Hill folks, were uh, just hoping that they would maybe cover the point spread, getting double figures. So yeah, Duke I think's done as a one. If this was a great ACC, then I, even after last night, I would say, hey, Duke's still got a shot to be a one seed because Virginia's a top five team, Carolina's a top ten team. What this isn't from uh, you know three four years ago. So. No, nobody's overly respectable. I mean, look at the seeds right now. I have Duke as a barely a two, and then Carolina and Notre Dame is eights, and and Wake Forest and Miami is a tens. So that that is that's like as about as bad as it gets for the ACC. Florida State, 
has been great, and they're not in the field. They're an eight-nine matchup where they may have to play Duke. Uh, what is it on Thursday potentially in the quarters? So yeah, they're done, and I think there's actually a better chance they'll be a three seed than a one seed because to stay as a two, they'll probably have to get minimum to the ACC title game, and that's that's not a foregone conclusion if you saw them play Ole defense last night against a good Wake Miami team. That's a matchup where I think Duke. Uh, may have to sweat it out, and especially since they've struggled against those two teams this year. Let's uh, let's just blame the ACC was on Louisville sucking ass this year. That that's always fun to do. Yeah, no, don't don't ever do that. Shut your mouth. We need Go them ahead, back. Phil. We need them back. They're, they're kind of like Indiana. We it's I think the college hoops landscape is always better when they're relevant. Right. Yeah. Yep. Phil, I, I know you got one last thing before we wrap it up with Dan today. Yeah. So uh, you know we appreciate the time first of all, Dan. We know how busy Absolutely. you are this time always. of year with the brackets getting close. But uh, of your last eight out, you know, BYU, Dayton, SMU, Virginia yep. Tech, Oregon, Florida, VCU, and UVA, yep. who do you feel the most optimistic about of those teams to, uh, to sneak in here? Yeah, so I'm, I'm leading SMU and Dayton at the moment. I think there's a chance that at least one of the two are going to get in, but obviously they got they must have tournament success. We may see a SMU-Memphis semifinal in the American Athletic. I think the winner of that game is going to beat Houston. If you had asked me right now, so they might just clinch it automatically and get to that maybe a 10, 11 seed range as an, you know, as an automatic qualifier. So those are two I'm really looking at. The A10, I think, is going to be going to be for you. Just saw Davidson lose yesterday to Dayton. VCU don't want to count out them. I think they're going to, that conference is going to get two in. So you got to look at my last four in, and I would say two of them are going to probably going to miss the dance, at least, uh, if you're going to ask me for next Sunday. In the selection show. So the likes of Xavier, they got some work ahead of them. Memphis, we mentioned. Indiana's not looking. They may be no bueno. And then San Francisco is a team that I'm very intrigued to be. I think they're probably headed to Dayton in terms of the playing. And that's assuming that, of course, they don't knock off Gonzaga. But And then you have Miami and Wake. If one of them were to lose in that quarterfinal matchup prior to a matchup against Duke, they could be sweating out selection Sunday. And then Wyoming is another team where they're not a lock to get in where you can say Mortal Lock it, bank it. They lose a bad game, potentially they're out. So the A10 Mountain West can be very intriguing. I think Dayton's got a, a great chance to sneak in and you just got to get to at least the semis in a lot of these matchups. And you win that game, all of a sudden, uh, you're just a win away from clinching automatic bid, but the resume is going to continue to get better. Absolutely. Well, once again, I just want to thank you for your time, Dan. And uh, you guys, Dan has been a writer for many years. Currently does bracketology in a weekly sports betting podcast called Sharp Action. You can check that out at sharpactionshow.com. And uh, his brackets are heating up on his Twitter at the stats at the underscore stats guru and bracketmatrix.com. And uh, he was actually among the top 10 most accurate on the site last or for two years running since he's been posting his bracketology. So uh, stay tuned to his Twitter for more updates and uh, check out at Sharp Action Show on Twitter as well. And uh, we appreciate the time again, Dan. We'll, we'll keep in touch. Appreciate you guys always having me on uh, one week away. Pleasant brackets. Uh, great time. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dan, thanks have for a good your one, time Dan. again. Take care. See you, Dan. Hey, good stuff yet again from uh, – we call him ECV's resident bracketologist, Dan Vasta. Um, always great insight. Um, he has a answer for every question we have regarding the bracket. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. I know I think he's spot on. Most people, especially coming in last night, were considering Duke – potential one but man i'm with him if especially slip up an acc tournament boy they look like a three seed now a dangerous three seed but a three seed 
Yeah, actually, I, he didn't, when he brought that up, that kind of surprised me a little bit, because I actually didn't think they'd be a three seed, but I can definitely see it the way they've been playing over this past couple of games, uh, Duke-wise is, especially after that, after they got drubbed on their home court, Coach K's last game. By the way, I didn't know if you guys knew that or not. Um, so, Thanks, Corey. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I got you, dog. Um, but, yeah, they definitely – it depends on what they do in the ACC tournament. If they make the final, then I definitely think they're still a two seed. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was telling you guys last night, R.J. Davis, the way he played last night for them, um, you know, if, if he plays like that going forward, UNC – is a very dangerous team. Well, hey, I was going to lead off with the Ohio Valley tournament being punched, but let's just – we're on it now. Let's just go ahead and talk Duke Carolina. Um, obviously, Coach K's final game at Cameron. Everybody that had a TV knew that. Cool moments. Um, I watched game day from start to finish. Normally don't do that. I'll pick piece or bits and pieces. But very cool atmosphere. They had all the former players back. Jay Billis did a little, like, 10-minute segment with – himself, J.J. Redick, uh, Trajan Langdon, um, Shane Battier, and Steve Wojciechowski kind of sharing memories and stuff, how they got recruited, very cool stories, um, the atmosphere. They had all the players that were there. Uh, you know, pregame, they did a deal with Coach K, took pictures. It was it was a cool deal. Uh, you've seen Coach K pregame start to get choked up a little bit. I don't think he actually cried, but the tears were welling up. All that to happen, people spending $100,000 on tickets only to see Carolina whoop that ass. Phil, I got to give you a lot of credit, man. We talked about it with Summer on episode 100. You said it'd be a very Carolina thing to do. None of us outside of you, essentially, and probably Summer and Sam, um, thought that Carolina had a shot, especially after the first game, the way Duke's been playing. And Carolina came out and rolled them that final, what, eight, ten minutes? Oh, oh, yeah. And and honestly, it started before that. You could sort of see the momentum and feel it change maybe the last three minutes of the first half. Duke, Duke could stretch the lead to, I think, six or eight. And then and Carolina was able to take it down to two going into the half. And it, it just felt from there on that they were in complete control of the game. Um, Duke had a case of, uh, as Bomani Jones would put it, lemon booty. Um, they were just they were playing a little bit. <laughs> they were playing a little bit tight. And, uh, and again, they hit their stride maybe in the middle of the first half. And it was like, okay, that first five minutes was tight. They, they settled in, they're good to go now. And then as soon as Carolina pulled even with them and then took the lead, you kind of seen the air come out of the team and the building. And, uh, from there on, it was just all Carolina. You mentioned RJ Davis. Uh, just tell the people, man, what kind of night he had last night. I mean, like I said, if Carol or uh, if RJ Davis can play like that for Carolina, um, they are, I don't think they can win a national championship. I don't don't think they're that good, but I do think they can make an elite eight type run. Um, Duke could not guard the pick and roll, so let's just start. Duke was switching everything off the pick and roll, which is fine if it's working for you, but it wasn't. And so RJ Davis was just getting getting mismatches against Boncaro, um, Mark Williams at times, just taking him to the rim. Um, he he was awesome passing the ball as well, but he he was that pass first point guard that they need. We've talked about it with Caleb Love too. Um, they don't need a scoring point guard; they need somebody that's going to set everybody else up. That's how Carolina's always been. And last night he had just enough scoring mixed in with just some beautiful passes. And uh, yeah, him, Manic, and Baycott were all unbelievable. I feel like R.J. Davis, you go back to the start of the year when they were playing Tennessee and company and Purdue. He was a bright spot for them then. 20 points, 25 here. And it felt like this last two months or so, he's kind of 
delegated or fallen back. But last night he showed up in the biggest moment to really solidify North Carolina. Like we talked about with Dan, their spot in the tournament. Now they're playing for seeding. They might even go try to win the ACC tournament. Um, it'd be a huge turnaround for Hubert Davis and company in his first year at the helm. We, we talked about it a few weeks ago when we reviewed that first meeting. The lone bright spot for North Carolina was Brady Manick on the pick and pop. He is such a dangerous matchup. He always has been dating back to Oklahoma with his ability to stretch the floor. And it seemed like last night, again, pick and pop situations, pulling the bigs from Duke away from the rim. And if they don't recover enough because they're worried about a guy like R.J. Davis or Caleb Love turning downhill, he can bust that three. He, if he can continually hit and pull the bigs away from the rim, this Carolina team, let alone R.J. Davis's um, development, Brady Manick is still hugely a key for me if Carolina is to make some sort of run in this tournament. Well, and one of the things you said is exactly what was happening last night off that pick and roll. So R.J. Davis was turning the corner on the pick and roll, and then you were getting help out of the corner. And they were helping off Manic, and he he was just draining threes, which ended up being you know the crucial three that really put the game away. I think with about two and a half, three minutes to go. Um, but yeah, he he looked a little gassed last night. I think he's potentially um, you know a liability on defense at times. And Duke didn't really take advantage of that. You saw Boncaro take it to him a couple of times, but not really like they should have. Um, but as far as shooting goes, man, he is just a knockdown shooter. Oh. Go ahead, Payne. A player that I feel like needs to get a lot more love this year is Caleb Love. Um, he played pretty well in this game. He didn't really shoot the ball well, um, four for 17 from the field, but he had 22 points. He had five rebounds, five assists. I mean, that's one turnover, too. He's Not only is he being able to set his teammates that's up, he's 12 from 12. That's huge, the one turnover. He had like six in the first six minutes against Duke last time. Yes, Bajor. So he's definitely played a lot more control under this game. So give a little shout out to him. But the guy that I'm really talking about is Armando Bricot. And I want to hear you guys' opinions on him because I think all season long he's been Carolina's most consistent player game after game. I watched him. He did it somewhat in the Kentucky game. He had to go against Oscar Shabley most of that game, so he had a tough task there. He did it to Louisville two times this year. He did it to Duke a little bit in that first game. But really, this second game, 20, 20, wait, it was, oh, 23 points, 10 11 from the field, three or four from the free throw line, seven rebounds, played 30, played 30 minutes. I don't think he should get any consideration for player of the year or anything like that. But I do think people need to show him some more respect than they have all season. Oh, hey, Armando Baycott's definitely been their most consistent and important piece on that team at times. Um, the problem with him is staying out of foul trouble. We've seen it against Duke the, last, the first game. Uh, he matched up Paolo Bancaro and was out for essentially that whole first half. Staying on the floor is huge for him because Carolina does not have uh, a backup for him. They, they don't have a backup to come in and fill those minutes. He has to play a lot of minutes. But when he's on the floor, like you've mentioned, he's very effective. He's easily a guy that go get you 25 and 15 a night on his good nights. So he's huge for them. I just think staying out of foul trouble is massive for him and the team. Because how much would they love to have Walker Kessler on that team right now? Yeah. Should trip oh. blocking shots, be able to get uh, some dunks down low. You there, Phil? Yeah, I'm here. No, literally, like Josh was just saying, um, when Baycott got in foul trouble in the first half, McCoy had to come in the game briefly, who hadn't played in like five games. And 
immediately Boncaro took it to him for two straight baskets and they had to get him out of the game. Like they just don't have anybody that can play uh, in place of Baycott. So they really, you know, he's the, probably their most important player, but he's got to figure out how to stay out of foul trouble. But real quick, just give a shout out to Leaky Black too. Leaky Black absolutely locked down AJ Griffin last night. Yeah, I mean, it was a tremendous Carolina performance all around. Uh, backs against the wall, got your ass whooped the first time, and then to come in and spoil a night. Like, I can't get over it. Like you said a few weeks ago, it would be a very Carolina thing to do, and that's what they did, man. What What do you guys think about the end of game? Not a skirmish, but a little controversy. Going through the handshake line, uh, Chris Carowell, Duke's one of their assistant coaches, blew off Hubert Davis, did not shake his hand. He, you could see Hubert turn around like, he didn't say nothing, but he had that, like, what the hell look on his face. And Nolan Smith shook his hand but looked away. Now, it's okay when Duke's beating teams. When they blew North Carolina out, they had no problem shaking hands and smiling and, hey, man, nice game. But you get your ass whooped and you kind of act like a baby about it. What's your guys' thoughts about that? Yeah, I'm curious what the actual situation was because so Carowell is claiming that um, Hubert Davis snubbed them on a, a handshake before the game. And that was his reasoning. But I watched Hubert Davis and Coach K shake hands and have, have a pleasant exchange before the game. So I'm not sure why Hubert would have been, you know, Hubert didn't seem like he was fired up. So I'm not sure why he would have purposely snubbed anybody. So I don't know. It just seems like some petty bullshit to me. But uh, I agree with you. Just, just especially in that moment, you know how big the microscope is on you. Just shake hands and just don't make it a story. It's clear to see from that that we. I think some people worried that you know Duke would all of a sudden have this lovable image after Coach K. It's pretty clear that Duke's still going to be a hated bunch of assholes from a lot of people with guys like that doing stuff like that. So hey, at least we still have our villain for the next twenty years. Yeah, that Absolutely. at least they. Yeah, that at least they didn't fight anybody in the handshake line. <laughs> Hey, man, it is what it is. Uh, let's talk about our first bid punch last night, though, where I wanted to lead off with it. The Ohio Valley Tournament Championship on the line last night. The state of Kentucky guaranteed to get a representative in. And Murray State continues. They completed the complete sweep of the Ohio Valley going unbeaten. But this was a hell of a game last night in Evansville, Indiana. Morehead State gave them a battle. This looked like a team that, unlike Indiana, where you know your back's against the wall, you have to play for everything, and Rutgers, they they choked it away. Morehead State was the underdog, and they battled their ass off. Johnny Broom, Kim Palm MVP, 32 points last night. Murray State had no answer for Johnny Broom. Even when he got hurt a little bit, I think it was his ankle, he comes back. He dominated this game. But at the end of the day, man, Murray State, we've beat their drum for months now. I'm sticking with them when the brackets come out next Sunday. Depending on the matchup, I love Murray State as an upset in the first round. And depending on how they match up with the team in the second round, I think this the ceiling for this team is Sweet 16. There are 30 wins on the year. 30 wins. They've got a tremendous three-headed monster. Tevin Brown, 23 points. Justice Hill, 21 last night. K.J. Williams wasn't the best. He had eight, but he he still had 10 rebounds. Love this Murray State team, but what a game for the OVC championship, and we had our first bid punch last night. I got home just in time to watch the second half of this game. I was watching the second half of this game, and I was doing my notes at the same time. And when I was watching this, it just felt like Moorhead, every time Murray State would go up by five points, it just seemed Moorhead State just would not go away. 
they wouldn't be put away easily. You mentioned Johnny Bloom, 32 points, eight rebounds, 34 minutes. I feel like every single time Murray State would go up a couple possessions, he hit a big-time three or a big-time shot to keep him back in it. And they almost pulled it out there late, had some miscommunication, ended up losing the game. But I agree, Murray State's a team that could potentially get that second, be a second weekend team, or potentially could get to a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight. Yeah, and you guys both mentioned uh, Johnny Broom, and we actually talked about him when we did the uh, OVC mid-major spotlight a few weeks ago too. But uh, he's going to be a mid or a, a high major player next year. He's definitely transferring up. I mean, he's got size, averaged almost four blocks a game, over ten rebounds. He can shoot, um, and I mean, he's going to be a sophomore next year with two years of experience because of that extra COVID year. So he's definitely going to be a highly sought after transfer. I'm with you. Uh, should he decide to transfer out, he could have the same type of impact we've seen with Kevin O'Banner down at Texas Tech. He's that type of dude. He's 6'10", man. He, he's a 6'10 guy that defends, plays hard, and he can score around the rim. Everybody in America could always use somebody like that. So I'm with you there if he decides to transfer out. Guys, we have we pre-recorded, Phil and I, back on this last Thursday, a tremendous interview that I cannot wait for you guys to hear. What we're going to do for those listening live, we're going to take a quick pause, allow it to so I can edit the show in. And when you guys hear this post production, you're going to hear the interview with uh, John Fanta, you know, play by play guy for Big East Basketball and Fox. He's a member of the field of 68. Tremendous. Before we play that and put that into the show, Phil, what a, what an interview that was. Yeah, first of all, let me just say, and I, I'll say this on behalf of us both, what a nice guy. I mean, he he was just awesome to uh, to work with. Uh, knows a ton about Big East basketball, but just fucking basketball in general. I mean, because of his field of, uh, excuse me, because of his work with the field of 68, um, you know, he's all over it. And uh, I know he's doing the women's basketball tournament for the Big East this weekend. So uh, shout out to him. But uh, yeah, awesome interview. So what we're going to do, like I said, for the live people, we're just going to take a brief pause so that way I can edit this in. You'll be able to hear the full interview in its entirety. We went about 20 minutes with him. You'll be hear that later when the, the full podcast episode audio is out. Make sure you listen to that tremendous interview. So we're going to take a quick pause. Let this roll. Uh, joining us now on the Everything College Basketball Podcast, we have a very special guest, uh, Mr. John Fanta. John does play-by-play for Big East Basketball on Fox, and in addition to hosting the Big East Shootaround and his work at the, the Field of 68. And don't forget, this segment is brought to you by Manscaped. Use the promo code ECB at checkout for 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Thanks for joining us, John. We really appreciate the time. Thank you guys for having me. Best time of the year on the calendar, and I appreciate you guys welcoming me onto your show. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, jump right into it. Villanova got the sweep of Providence the other night. And uh, I'm just curious what your opinion is, despite Nova not being able to get the uh, Big East regular season title, are they still the Big East best bet to make a deep run in the tournament? They are the Big East best bet because they don't turn the basketball over. One of the lowest turnover rate teams in the country with Colin Gillespie, a fifth year senior point guard, his ability to just make plays for others and his ability to manage a game. They're never going to be out of a game. And I think that Jay Wright's team, it's one of his better defensive teams because of the fact that, that they're an efficient group. When, when they can set up their defense, I think this year they've been pretty solid. Eric Dixon at the five has been better than I expected. 
Brandon Slater is a good defender. So for me, Villanova with the one-two punch at Gillespie and Justin Moore in that backcourt, they have enough. They have enough to get to an Elite Eight. I don't know if they're Final Four good. I'd probably say no, but it would not shock me if they made it because Jay Wright is the best, if not one of the best coaches in college basketball, and he has veteran talent. And when you look at the way that they play, they're a frustrating team to play because they're a slower-paced team. They're going to make you play 40 minutes, meaning they do not make mistakes. You have to beat them. They do not beat themselves, and that's why Villanova is the best bet out of the Big East. Yeah, totally agree with you. I mean, like you said, my main concern with them is sort of maybe the depth being a factor late in a tournament run, but uh, I definitely see Elite Eight in their future. Um, Looking ahead a little bit to the Big East tournament, is there anybody in your mind that outside of maybe those top three or four teams in the conference is going to be capable of going on a run a la Georgetown last year and uh, stealing the tournament? Yeah, I think that Seton Hall could come out a champion in this tournament, and I'll tell you why. They're 7-2 and two in their last nine games. On the defensive end of the floor, they've been a top 25 Kempom defensive team, hovering around the top 30 throughout the year. They guard. They have a bucket getter in Jared Roden who had 30 against Xavier this past weekend and was great against Georgetown. He's in a rhythm right now. And, guys, they have an underappreciated point guard. Syracuse transfer Kadari Richmond is is playing the best basketball of his collegiate career right now. So you have a point guard who's playing well. You have a bucket getter in Roden. Seton Hall has a top 10. They are top 10 in average height in college basketball. That means they protect the rim really well. So the Pirates are a dangerous team. They could still end up with a bye in the top five, but it's likely that they end up six as a six seed. They could be a very, very dangerous six seed if things break their way. Watch out for Seton Hall. That's a team that early in the season caught the eyes of the country, went through their down period, but I think there's still something there. And just while we're on the topic of Seton Hall, I'm curious, you know, Kevin Willard's name has been popping up around some open positions, if Seton Hall were to have to uh, replace him, what direction would you like to see them go in? Yeah, I think Shaheen Holloway at St. Peter's deserves the first look. He's one of Seton Hall's proudest sons, led that program to a sweet 16. I think he's done a real nice job at St. Peter's, hard job in the back, and they are one of the top teams in that league. Shaheen can recruit. I think he's a good coach. I, I think he's a guy that in-game makes the right decisions. I've watched him coach games in person in the MAC. I've been impressed with him. Keep an eye on this guy because he, he, he has the makings of being a big-time coach, and I think he's only getting started. I think that they look at Shaheen Holloway and they look at him hard to potentially be the heir in the throne. Former Kevin Willard assistant as well as the associate head coach. He's ready for this job. I think he deserves a shot. And we need more minority power five head coaches, power six head coaches in college basketball. So for me, for Seton Hall, they got to look to Shaheen Holloway. Absolutely. And I know Josh has some stuff he wants to jump in here and get in with you. Josh, what do you got for John? Well, first of all, John, the rumor going around is that you are Providence good luck charm. Can you dispel that rumor or not? (laughs) You know, it's funny because. Because I call all these games, and the team has one home loss the entire season. So the teams play pretty doggone well. You know, it's not like they're 12-4 and at home, and I call 12 games, and the other four were losses. Look, it's been a joy to call their games this year. It's been a thrill to cover them. 
And I'm grateful to my bosses at Fox for giving me a chance to call that Big East regular season title clinching game on Saturday against Creighton. This team is really something, guys. A team picked seventh. They were counted out. They were doubted. But you can never doubt what experience means in college basketball. The average age of their top seven players is 23. 23. They are old. The sum is greater than the parts. They don't rely on any one piece to be great, which is what I like about them. They have a rock in the paint, Nate Watson. But then what I look at with Ed Cooley's teams is, does Ed Cooley have, does Ed Cooley have backcourt play? When his teams have backcourt play, everything changes. They're going to defend. They're going to rebound. But this Providence Friars team has a, a wealth of guard play. Jared Bynum is red hot right now. Al Durham, while hurt, he's going to be back for the Big East tournament. He's been as good of a transfer as you're going to find. And then you look at A.J. Reeves. This is the best basketball he's played in his career. This team has some options in their backcourt. They didn't have that the last couple seasons. It was all David Duke and nobody else. This team is different and better. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like you kind of led me into a bunch of different branches we could touch on. But staying on kind of the Al Durham thing, we have a large percent of our fan base between Indiana, Kentucky, Purdue. So let's start with Indiana real quick. Speaking of Al Durham, I feel like Indiana is desperately missing a guy like Al Durham or Armand Franklin, two guys that obviously transferred out. IU loses a must-win game last night. And all bets are now they're outside on, on the outside looking in in the tournament. For the Hoosier fans that listen to us, that follow us, they know the deal. They're not expected to go to Purdue and win on Saturday. So assuming that they do lose on Saturday, what say you? They've probably got to at least make it to the Big Ten final, you would think, to get back in the tournament contention. Yeah, I would say. I would say, look, Indiana's – they've got to get there. They have got to get at least to the Big, e, the Big Ten semifinals, guys. They have got to be able to make a run of the Big Ten semifinals because if they don't, then they're not going. And, and you're right. It might take the Big Ten title game, and they're not going to go in the Big Ten title game. The, the fact is they have not been consistent for 40 minutes throughout much of the season. You know, yeah. it's Trace Jackson Davis, and it's everybody else. They yeah. offensively, offensively, they're a team that's up and down. So, look, Indiana's got work to do. A lot of work to do, and this has been disappointing because I think I think they have a good enough roster to be a tournament team, and it's just not going to be in the cards. We had Jim Coyle from Indiana Sports Beat Radio on with us last week, and we were talking and breaking it down. And I mentioned to him after last night was private messaging him and told him it feels like Groundhog's Day yet again with Indiana. This is what the fifth year in a row where it's kind of come down in the year, and they bottle up a chance to go to the tournament. I'm with you. I feel like at the start of the year, especially look at the roster, it's at least tournament good roster, but they do rely heavily on Trace Jackson Davis. They don't get consistent guard play. Xavier Johnson's playing a little better, but for the Indiana folks out there, man, I don't know. It's like misery again for the fifth year in a row. Um, you talked about something though with Providence and experience moving to Kentucky um, the SEC is wild this year. Kentucky and their experience, Cal's bit after last year's disaster of a year, come back with a vengeance this year, bringing in all the transfers. Their average, this is the oldest team in Kentucky history as far as college minutes played coming back and coming in. 
Um, your outlook on Kentucky still vying for a potential one seed and the craziness that is the SEC this year. I'll tell you what, the SEC is a league that I might bet on to come away with a national championship over any other league because I still love the likes of Auburn and Kentucky. And I know people have, have uh, kind of not faded, but gotten a little bit concerned about Auburn. Look, when you get into league play and you're in a really good league, you're going to get exposed sometimes. When you get to the NCAA tournament, these opponents have not seen you or faced you all year. It becomes a different monster for them. But for Kentucky, I like what John Calipari has been able to do. And you got to credit Cal because he adapts more than anybody else in the sports. He has done a terrific job of saying, all right, the transfer portal is a way to go. What does he do? He knows he can get any transfer in America. He brings in Kellen Grady, a Davidson transfer. He brings in Oscar Shibway a West Virginia transfer. You know what stands out to me? The coaching that they had before Cal. They come from good coaches, Bob McKillop at Davidson, Bob Huggins at West Virginia. You want to be able to bring in guys who have experienced good coaching in their first stop. And that's what Cal has done. And Severe Wheeler's been a real quality ad as well and knows the SEC. He knew it before he came in, coming over from Georgia. So what I look at with Kentucky is the roster's been constructed well, but in season, in season, they've had great development, especially on the offensive end of the floor. They have a much better identity now than they did in November and December. I think it's one of Calipari's better coaching jobs, and I think that Kentucky can win the national championship. There, If I had to pick three teams that I think more than anybody could come out the national champion, I'd put the Kentucky Wildcats there, I'd put Gonzaga there, and I'd probably put Auburn on there, too, because of Jabari Smith and just how good he is. See, two SEC teams. I am high on the conference that they say it just means more. Well, that's music to my ears. We've been beating that drum all year being a Kentucky fan myself. So it's music to my ears. I feel the same way. Um, and, and you're right real quick, though, before I give it back to Phil, you're right about the end game, like the coaching. Uh, Kentucky actually is up to number two and adjusted offense on Kim Palm now. You go back to last year, and the biggest struggle for the Cats was putting the ball in the bucket. So huge, uh, huge jump in production this year for the Cats. I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts on that. We all think the SEC is the best conference, but I'll let it fill kind of wrap things up here. Yeah, uh, we know how limited your time is, John, so uh, I'll get you out of here on this question. Um, going back to the hey, Big you, East. You guys are – hey, I, I got until noon. You guys are good. Oh, awesome. You know, well, if you got more questions, feel free. Um, I don't know if Josh has anything else, but this is the last one I got. Um, Great. Just along the lines of Patrick Ewing, you know, that was the big news in the uh, Big East yesterday. Do you think they're sticking with him in a genuine hope that he can turn things around moving forward? Or was it more a situation where they put out some back channel feelers, didn't quite get the responses they had hoped, and now they're just sort of riding it out until they can get a candidate that they think, you know, really fits that job? Man, it's a great question. I, I think yesterday's statement was, it's not about response, but more so about the fact that Patrick Ewing made a statement that he wanted to be back. He made a statement over the weekend. Look, people were comparing it to like Craig Escherich and John Thompson III and different ones where Georgetown's given a vote of confidence and then shortly thereafter fired the coach. They're not going to fire Patrick Ewing. This is a different case. What they're going to say is, Patrick, you have to change your staff. You have to do something to change your program. The question, guys, is will he – Will he do it? 
is he able to bring guys into a room and say, hey, we got to go a different direction. You're gone. You know, I don't know about that. I don't know if he's willing to talk to his buddies on his staff and say that. Those are really, really difficult conversations to have. And so that's why I, I, I don't know. I go back and forth on this right now by the hour because you're not firing Ewing. It appears he wants to be back. So what does that mean? How are things going to pan out? If you ask me, my gut says he is going to be back next year. I don't think that that was a fake thing yesterday. I don't think it was some, some sort of a joke. I, I genuinely think that you're looking at a situation where Patrick Ewing is going to be back next year. And I know Georgetown fans are really frustrated at that. But I think that that's the way that this is trending right now. And maybe it'll end. Maybe he'll, he'll say, you know, he'll swallow his pride and they'll say, I got to get out of here. But I don't think, like, as things stand today, I don't think he has any plans to step down. They gave him a big contract extension. They're not going to fire him. They don't want to tarnish that relationship. So until someone talks a little bit of sense here, I think this might continue. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I don't think that statement was put out there for no reason. I think that statement was put out there to support the head coach who won a Big East tournament title. I'm not saying that's necessarily how I would go about it or how that's, that's how it should be, but I get the sense he's going to be back. No, I'm, I'm completely with you. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks to last month because uh, Georgetown, I think, is what, 18 games in a row now that they've lost. I mean, one of the worst power, power six con- or conference teams in the country. And the weird thing about it is we've talked about it at ad nauseum. It's not like he hasn't had talent over the years he's had uh mac mcclung he's had uh james akinjo quadas wahabs at maryland he's had talent and they're all transferring leaving out so and i I think it was goodman i heard on field of 68 which i know you're a part of as well they were talking about it a few weeks ago and saying the same thing you were about all right patrick we'll keep you but you've got to make changes to that staff it's not you know basically it's not cutting the mustard and i'm with you i don't know if he's gonna be the type of guy that says I don't know. You know, I feel like he's a loyal guy. I don't know if he's going to go into his assistance and be like, Hey man, I love you, but we got to cut ties here. Yeah, I know. It's a complicated situation. And, and I, I think the biggest thing is yes, he's brought in talent, but Georgetown should be able to bring talent in. It's about retaining talent. They haven't retained the talent. When you have a Kinjo transfer out, Mac McClung transfer out, Josh LeBlanc transfer out. Kudus Wahab transfer out. These are big time talents. You got to be able to retain people on your roster. And the fact is they have not been able to do it. They brought in Trey King, an impact transfer. He didn't even play a game for this program. So look, it just, it has not worked out, but you guys know this, you cover the sport. Well, you got to have the right staff. You know, the head coach cannot be tasked with it all. I genuinely think, Patrick Ewing wants this. This is not Chris Mullen, who at times did not show up to work at St. John's and did not care about the job. Patrick Ewing wants to win. He's never been a loser. But you got to surround yourself with a younger staff that can get after it and get the right pieces in play that takes some pressure off of you. The head coach in 2022 college basketball cannot do it all. The best ones will tell you that. Well, back to John Calipari, um, he has one bad year, one historically bad year, and he cuts ties. I mean, Tony Barbie's gone. 
Uh, yep. And his longtime assistant from the UMass days, John Robich, he cut ties with him. He knew he had to make changes. And if Coach Cal can do that and understand that, then surely, surely Patrick Ewing can understand that this is a must-need for the program, really, that he is synonymous with. Georgetown is Patrick Ewing, and Patrick Ewing is Georgetown in a lot of ways. Bingo. That, that is exactly what needs to be said, and that's why this is a different case. When you bring in your best of all time, you're not firing them. They have unlimited job security, but he's got to change some things up to get this right, and I hope he does. Nobody wants to see Patrick Ewing fail. He's a beloved person and player, but this isn't getting it done here. It's not. If they had five Big East wins, we'd be saying this isn't getting it done. Instead, they have none. It's just not good enough. I just can't see. I've been thinking about this. Does Patrick Ewing leave Georgetown after a winless conference season? Is this how he goes out? They're not going to fire him. He's going to have to make some changes. I think he will. And I don't think this is the end. It's my gut feeling. I think Patrick Ewing could still get Georgetown on track, but he's got to make some serious changes. You know, you don't just win a Big East tournament and have zero ability to do something, but he's got some changes to make. So I've got one more thing, and then Phil can wrap it up or however. But yeah, we, we've talked about it. You go back to last year, Gonzaga, you know, the unbeaten streak all the way to the final game, and you've seen it with Baylor. When Drew, and we'll go back to last Saturday with St. Mary's. In my opinion, when Drew Timmy goes up against a team that's more physical, that beats him to the block, does not let him get post position, it takes him out of the game. And when Timmy's taken out of the game, Gonzaga's flow of offense is completely rattled. We've seen it. There's there's the history there. To me, that's the big concerning thing for Gonzaga. We talked about it last week with uh, on episode 102. Say they match up in the lead eight round against Texas Tech. We know how physical Texas Tech is or a team like that. Do you have that same concern with Gonzaga? We know how great they are offensively. They've improved defensively over the last couple of years. But it's still that thing. If you Timmy comes up with a, a against a team or a, another opposing post presence that is more physical than him, he's taken out of the game pretty easily. Do you have that same concern with Gonzaga as we move forward to uh, the tournament? I have a lot of concerns with Gonzaga. I, I think that they're a team that's that's – really really good but it's hard to get a full gauge when you compete in the WCC and I know that's a common narrative but it's a problem that I have and and I think offensively you're exactly right if a team really locks up Timmy what happens what happens this is where Andrew Nemhard's got to take this team and put them on his back and make plays for others and make things happen but you know this Gonzaga team I don't think that they are as good offensively or as best constructed on that end of the floor as they were last year. And last year they fall short of a title. I guess that's my concern here. Yeah, they've been number one. And yeah, they're one of the nation's best. But when we look at these teams at this point in the year, we're thinking about national championship. And Gonzaga, the fact is, Unfortunately, they haven't earned the benefit of our doubt in this sport. It's just how life is. Like, they've won more than anybody. Nobody's going to deny that. When they win a big game, I'm not surprised at all. You know, Mark Few schedules well. But I thought they got exposed by St. Mary's. 
And I get concerned because St. Mary's is not one of the 15 best teams in the country. And that's what's going to take when you get down to your final three games in the tournament to win the tournament. So I am concerned about them because I just, I don't think that, that they are in a position that, uh, that makes me feel confident about their offense. Hey, John, real quick, tell whoever's honking at you, tell them to leave me alone. You're on the phone with UCB here. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm changing, I'm changing lanes to get over and a guy like right up towards a guardrail and a guy is changing lanes the other direction. Like, what are you doing? People. It's great. It's, that Northeast traffic March. for you. This is March. Oh my gosh. All right, John. It is, it is endless. Real quick. We'll get you out of here on this. Um, you know, these past maybe five, even 10 years or so, it hasn't been uncommon to see one of the teams on the bubble, even last four in. Uh, make a run to the final four. You know, last year we had UCLA. A few years back we had Syracuse. Any bubble teams in your mind that, uh, you know, are capable of making that type of run? Well, I think Rutgers is playing pretty good basketball, and they were a couple dribbles away from a Sweet 16 last year. So if they find their way into the field, I wouldn't bet against them. You know, Scarlet Knights are are a team that's accumulated Quadrant 1 wins. Um, and six of them to be exact. And I think that they're playing their best basketball at the right time. So look, that's a team that I would look at and say, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that they're an interesting team, you know, I'll give you a team that I think could, could pull off an upset and make a run North Texas. They've won four. They've won 14. They have won their last 14 games. They shoot the ball 37, 38% from three-point territory, and they have four guys averaging between 10 and 13 points. That means it's going to be a tough scout. You know, when you have four guys that could do that, that tells me, okay, on any given day, somebody could go off. So I really like the mean green. I am buying them. I think they're an interesting group. I think they're a team to watch here as March comes on. And they have the, the experience from last year knocking off Purdue. They do. They Absolutely. do. They look, they got a big win last year. I don't think they're done. I could see them getting two wins this year. Interesting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time, John. Uh, again, you guys can uh, find John on the call of Big East Hoops on Fox. You can also find his analysis on the field of 68 and on Twitter at John underscore Fanta. Thanks again, John. Thank you, guys. And I would just end on this note. You know, when you asked about the bubble and whatnot, I think this is a huge year for the West Coast. This is a year where the Western teams need to make a statement in March. They've had a good regular season. The Mountain West and WCC are going to get bids. Can they package it together? Absolutely. I think that's one of the things a lot of people in the country are waiting to see, especially how many tournament bids we see out of, uh, you know, the West Coast and the Mountain West. We shall see. Love talking hoops with you guys. I'll do it anytime with this crew. You guys do a real good job. Thank you. Thanks so much, John. Have a good one. Thank you, guys. All right, and we're back. Um, Like I said, for those who are listening to the podcast version (coughs) of this, uh, you guys just heard that interview. John gave us – we were going to only have like 12 minutes with him, and he said, hey, I've got till noon. We're like, all right, let's go with it. (laughs) You heard some of his answers about Georgetown and Patrick Ewing, um, some of the decisions as far as his his thoughts on – Seton Hall. What do you think about Seton Hall? He said potential Big East tournament champs in that. It, you, I know you asked him about a potential sleeper. He loves Seton Hall's size, their athleticism, 
Um, just a tremendous interview all around. Yeah, I was very surprised. He dropped a little stat on us that uh, Seton Hall was the uh, had the most height in the Big East, which I was also kind of surprised about that they just don't really strike you as being one of those, you know, bigger teams. Um, but yeah, man, uh, he also gave us a, a little uh, insight into who Seton Hall made go after with, uh, the, you know, the Kevin Willard thing. It was just it was great. I, I appreciate John's time. And uh, like you said, it was awesome to he just uh, was able to go a little long with us. And uh, we certainly appreciate it. Yeah, but, uh, guys, go go check out John Fanto uh, real quick, Phil. Go check out John Fanto on on Twitter. He's reshared this. I'm sure he'll retweet this episode when it comes live. Uh, tremendous networking for us, and uh, he. I mean, you guys heard it. He put us over. He said he loves the what we do in the media and covering college basketball. Which I know if you guys could have seen it live, me and Phil just grinned ear to ear because. And you guys heard it. This is um, interview number two of eight we did with him that day. He did eight interviews and took extra time with us, so we can't thank John enough. Go give him a follow. Tell him ECB sent you. You love the interview and all that. It'll be greatly appreciated on both ends. And now to get into a segment that uh, I'm pretty excited about, I think we're all pretty excited about, actually, is uh, our Conference Player of the Year Awards. You guys want to lead off with the ACC? Let's start at the top, man. All right. So let's start off with uh, our ACC Player of the Year. Um, I, I feel like we all may be on the same page on this one, but uh, I had Alondas Williams. You know, he was the first player in ACC history to lead in scoring and assists in the same season. Um, hard to go with anybody else, in my opinion. I'm with you, man. I went Alondas Williams, Wake Forest. Same. I did as well. All right. Next up, we got the defensive player of the year. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, you can look at statistics a lot and sometimes you can see it, but in this case, uh, Sort of went with the eye test for mine, and uh, Reese Beekman is just a, a lockdown, you know, on-ball defender. Hey, shout out and to our guy Reese Beekman. Yes, sir. Yeah, shout out friend of the program, Reese Beekman. Um, but yeah, just uh, as good as it gets as an on-ball defender. See, I went opposite. I, I love Reese Beekman, but I went with a guy who impacts the play every. And not that Reese don't, but I went with a guy who's improved tremendously this year but definitely impacts the rim and what duke loves to do defensively i went mark williams his stats may not jump out to you but he's a tremendous defensive rebounder he can block shots he's a rim protector and he changes the course of how duke defends i went with mark williams as mine yep i agree with josh i went with mark williams as well him big body blocking shots he's averaging like 2.3 blocks per game so i went with mark williams as well Absolutely. You cannot go wrong with Mark Williams. He, uh, he affects just about every shot that goes up in the paint. Um, next up, speaking of Mark Williams and, uh, my case, anyway, we have most improved and, uh, I did go with Mark Williams. Peyton mentioned it, you know, he's up to, it's actually 2.8 blocks this season, which is about double of where he was at last year. Um, scoring is significantly up free throw shooting is better. Shooting from the field is better. Um, maybe controversial cause he was already pretty good last year, but uh, I feel like he's made a big jump. I'm with you, man. It's hard not to go with Mark Williams. That dude has played himself into the lottery almost. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say with the dude, Blue Dials, I'm going to disagree. I'm going with Wendell Moore Jr. His progression over the past couple of years, especially last year to this year, has been incredible. He went from averaging like nine points a game to averaging like 15 points per game. He's shooting a higher percentage from three. He's shooting a higher percentage from the field. He is one of Duke's most important pieces in this whole run, potentially getting to a Final Four. So I'm going Wendell Moore Jr. That's and, a good and I'm one. Glad you br- 
I'm yeah, I'm glad you brought Wendell up, especially his shooting, because it has improved so much, particularly from three from last year to this year. Um, next up, we got coach of the year. And uh, but, hey, I, I, we, yeah, we can do coach. We don't forget freshman now. We have freshman oh, of the year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll do coach of the year real quick and then we'll go back to freshman. My apologies. Okay. But uh, I don't think you can go any other direction than Steve Forbes here. I don't think anybody was expecting Wake Forest to be anywhere near as good as they are this year. And uh, just putting it together with all those transfers, unbelievable job. I completely agree. Yes, sir. All right. Back to our freshman of the year. Just uh, skipped over that one briefly. It's again, I feel like uh, the ACC was maybe the easiest conference with some of these awards. I think you got to give it to Paulo Bancaro. Completely Most agree. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, That's that an easy, easy one, man. That's an easy. Yeah. yeah. That was a gimme. If we want to slip in a uh, honorable mention, I will say Terquavion Smith has been awesome for NC State, one of the top scoring freshmen in the nation. So, man, shout he out needs to a, him. He needs to send you some NIL money as much as you he, beat his drum this year. <laughs> yeah, he does, man. Maybe we'll see if we can get him on an NIL deal with ECB. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be badass. That'd be badass. Yeah. So, uh, moving on now to our, our uh, last award of the ACC, we have our first team ACC. And uh, I'll start it off. I got Darion Sebron and Alondas Williams at the guard spots, Baycott and Paulo Bancaro at the forward spots, and Mark Williams at the center. So I've got some of those. I've got Alondas Williams, of course, from Wake Forest, Paolo Bancaro and Mark Williams from Duke, Armando Baycott from North Carolina, and a, one that maybe surprised some people, Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. Tremendous year for the Fighting Irish. That should be a tournament team because of him this year. So mine, I got the normal. I got Paulo Bancaro from Duke, Armando Bacat from North Carolina. I got Alondas Williams from Wake Forest, Blake Wesley from Notre Dame, and I just talked about him. I think he deserves it. Wendell Moore Jr. from Duke. Awesome. We'll move on to the Big East and uh, start with the Big East Player of the Year, but why don't we stick with you, Peyton? Who you got for your Big East Player of the Year? Uh, Let me find it. Oh, it's right here. Colin Gillespie. Easy. I'm saying Colin Gillespie. Yeah, I stepped a little outside of the box on this one, went Posh Alexander. Uh, I just like what he brought to the table across the board. Um, I can see why you wouldn't give it to him because St. John's, you know, isn't in the best spot as a team, but uh, he's had an awesome year. And uh, moving on to our defensive player of the year, you know, Josh, we talked about uh, Seton Hall and all that height and uh, Ike Obiagu with three blocks a game, man. Uh, again, hard to uh, hard to argue against that. I'm right there with you, man. We actually conversed about this off air because I was having trouble with it. And you you helped me convince it of Obiagu because of all the blocks and stuff. So I went the same. Yep, I did too, without any conversion. <laughs> <laughs> I think hold on, let me take this one. The freshman. I think this is interesting because the Big East had some, but not a lot like other conferences. I went Justin Lewis from Marquette. Yeah, I went the exact same direction. Third in the conference and scoring over 17 points a game. Um, you know, it was Marquette's main option. Um, interestingly enough, I did not have him in my first team, but he, he was really good. Okay, well, I lied. This time there's going to be conversion because I originally had Aminu Muhammad from Georgetown, but I'm actually going to switch it now to Justin Lewis. I forgot all about that he's a freshman this year. And, and moving on now to the most improved, I think uh, in a lot of conferences, this is the hardest one to pick, I think, because of just, you know, how do you judge most improved? But as far as this conference goes, it's got to be Jared Bynum for me. He's made more threes this season than he made his first two seasons combined. Um, third in the conference in assists, coming off the bench for Providence, just a really big step forward for him. I went different. I went Adama Sanogo from UConn. 
You go back to his freshman year, he came in as a four-star kid. He, he contributed some. This year he took a major jump for a UConn team that's back in the tournament and has a chance to maybe make the Sweet 16, depending on how the matchups play out. I went with Adama Sanogo. I went a little bit different route with mine. He's definitely improved a lot, but he really has helped this team ever since transferring from Indiana to Providence. I went with Al Durham. That's an interesting one. Yeah, no, that's definitely interesting. And like I said, most improved player is one of those ones that it's it's very, you know, objective because it, it doesn't always show in the numbers. It can be just an increased role. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different things that can go into that one. Next up, we got our coach of the year. I kind of have a feeling we're all going to go uh, in the same direction. Just go ahead and on this say one. it. Just go ahead and say <laughs> it. Ed Cooley. I mean, yep, outside, man. Of, outside of Providence podcasts, um, ECB may be the leader of the official Ed Cooley fan club. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and it, it's, again, hard to argue any other coach the way uh, first ever big First ever Big East crown. Uh, they, he's got him in the running as the highest potential two seed. How do you not go with Ed Cooley? Yeah, and just the you know the atmosphere at Providence. The students obviously love him. They love that team. Um, yeah, no way not to go with Ed Cooley. So uh, back to our first team, Big East. Who you got, Josh? Um, Colin Gillespie, Justin Lewis, Al Durham, Justin Bynum, and Justin Moore. I've got two Villanova, two Providence, and one Marquette. Mine, I got Colin Gillespie. I got Julian Champagne from St. John's, Justin Lewis from Marquette, Nate Watson from Providence, and RJ Cole from Connecticut. Yeah, I got I got a little mix from both of y'all. So I have uh, Posh Alexander. Obviously, you got to have him as, as player of the year. Uh, Colin Gillespie, Julian Champagne, uh, snuck David Jones from DePaul in there. He's been really good this year. Um, I, I think DePaul is actually going to be sneaky good next year. And then uh, Nate Watson at the center. Next up, I think maybe uh, maybe one of, well, certainly my favorite conference, but I think maybe our favorite conference of the pod, the Big Ten. And uh, player of the year in the Big Ten was maybe uh, one of the closer races, I think, guys. Who do you guys like? Dude, so tough. I mean, you had three legitimate dudes and like, well, actually four, and you had a couple on the outside that's probably deserving as well. This is probably the hardest one to, to project out. I went with Johnny Davis. I mean – like I said, you go multiple ways, but I think, man, Wisconsin, they're vying for one seed, win the Big Ten outright. I went with Johnny Davis. As did I. And I, I guess I got to stray from you guys here again. Um, Keegan Murray, for me, led the conference in scoring, second in rebounding. Um, you know, you could probably argue that Johnny Davis is more important for Wisconsin, but uh, I, I just like Keegan Murray. Um for Defensive Player of the Year, Josh, we talked about this one before the show, and this was a, a really tough one to come up with in this conference. Um, I went with Caleb McConnell, um, sort of Same. a, you know, more of a, you know, metrics guy. He's number one in defensive efficiency on Evan Maya, but he did lead the conference in steals. Um, but again, just it's one of those awards that's tough. Yeah, I was struggling to find one. Um, then I went and looked at Ohio State and Idra Liddell. He is really good at perimeter defensive, um, getting on the perimeter, defending top-level guys, pretty much any position. Um, he is going to be the guy for me that wins defensive player of the year for the Big Ten. I don't think you go with wrong with that one. No, absolutely. I mean, EJ Liddell is an absolute stud of a player. Um, 
it's one of those things where we, and again, we talked about this before the pod, we sort of had different, um, you know, strategies of how we did the awards. I tried to make sure guys didn't double up necessarily. And I actually have a different award for uh, EJ Liddell. So, um, well, sort of, but anyway, sticking with you, Peyton, who do you like for freshman of the year? This was tough. This was very tough. I mentioned it while I was taking my notes last night. Outside of the ACC and the SEC, finding a freshman of the year for some of these top-level conferences, because most of these teams have experienced players, not really a top-level freshman. If they do, they really haven't played that well. So I just went I went with Max Christie from Michigan State. That's who I went with. So I understood that. I debated on Christie. He's been so up and down. And this is going to sound weird because this team finished dead last. And I know Phil agrees with me on this. They finished dead last in the Big Ten. They were terrible. Although they've been playing better the last couple. you got to give them credit. But Bryce McGowan's was tremendous this year. Despite the fact that Nebraska was god-awful, Bryce McGowan's carried his load as a five-star kid. So I, I know Phil went with Bryce McGowan's as well. Yep. Yeah, like you said, he's he's been really good despite how bad they've been and uh, really good these past couple of games when they've picked up their play. So uh, most improved, I kind of have a pick here that I think some people may not like because I think they are going to take it as a shot at him. But uh, I got Jaden Ivey here. Um, just the jump he took from last year being a sixth man to this year being the guy, maybe the best player in the conference, top five pick. Um, yeah, I, I think that was, again, a huge jump for him. I had – we might have the same one. I have Johnny Davis same. getting another award. Okay. Yeah, I figured. Same. Same. The the jump he took from from last year to this year is remarkable. And, and again, this is one Phil and I talked about off here. You could have went with Jaden Ivey. You could have went with Keegan Murray, Johnny Davis. Like, all these dudes, they were okay last year. But this year, they put themselves in a lottery contention. I mean, the, the jump was tremendous. So – yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Peyton. I went Johnny Davis as well. Yeah, I'll be honest. He he was so non-impactful last year. I forgot Johnny even there. So uh, I'll go ahead and agree with you guys and actually switch mine to Johnny Davis. That's a great one. Um, Coach of the year. This one in the Big Ten, again, I, I feel Easy. like we're saying this about every award, but it was tough. But uh, I like Steve Pickiel from Rutgers. Oh, okay. oh. I, I thought this was easy for me. I think me and you might have the same one. Greg Gard? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I went Greg Gard. Yeah, I did too. And, and that's, that's a good like, one, though. There's not a wrong choice, but I like Steve Pekio. I, I don't – I mean, Rutgers had a good run in the tournament last year, but just they were sort of dead to rights maybe December and the way they've turned it around. Love that team. Uh, the first team – you know, Aiden Ivy and Johnny Davis, those are my guards. Uh, Got to go with Keegan Murray, um, EJ Liddell. And then uh, center was tough, man. It was tough choosing between Travion Williams, Kofi Coburn, and uh, Zach Eady, but I had to go with Kofi. Yeah, man. I um, I didn't put Liddell in my first team. I went Johnny Davis, Kofi Coburn, Keegan Murray, Jaden Ivey, and I still think Trace Jackson Davis did enough to get on the first team because he essentially was Indiana's offense. They dumped it down to – we talked about it with Jim Coyle last week. I still went TJD by hair over EJ Liddell. My first team was Jaden Ivey from Purdue, Kofi Coburn, Illinois, Johnny Davis, Wisconsin, EJ Liddell, Ohio State, and Keegan Murray from Iowa. 
And I thought about putting Ron Harper Jr. on there. Oh, love, love Ron. Yep, love Ron. Phil? You there? Looks like he froze again. We'll just... Um, we'll, there he is. Oh, there there he is. You're back. There he is. What'd you say? Pack 12, yep. Big 12? What'd you say? Uh, sorry, sorry about these technical difficulties, guys. But uh, yeah, the I Big 12. Peyton, I think we're both going to agree on this one, but... Uh, all three of us. Oche Abaji. All three oh, of yeah. us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All three of us. Oche Abaji, Big 12 Player of the Year. Without a doubt. Uh, defensive Player of the Year, Peyton. All right. And then our Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I went with Flo Thamba from Baylor. This was tough to find, but I think Flo Thamba... Uh, especially for Bayer, like for the defensive ability. I think he's really good, so I went with him. Phil and I went with the exact same person yet again. We went with Matthew Meyer, um, just his ability to defend in the post, defend on the perimeter, and how hard he plays. I think we both went Matthew Meyer. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Um, looks like Phil will continue until he gets back going again. Peyton, freshman of the year. This was another one that I, it was hard to find, but I'm just going to stick with the – Stick with the Baylor Bears and go with Kendall Brown. Same. I went with Kendall yeah. Brown as well. Yeah, like most of these players are like the big time conferences, like the Big 12, Pac-12, all these other conferences. Most of them have like experienced players, not really like freshmen. If you were to say maybe a newcomer of the year, maybe that would be a little bit easier. But freshman of the year made it a lot more difficult. Well, yeah, I mean, Kendall Brown was a, he was a I think he's a five-star kid. Or he was a five-star. Yeah, five-star no, five. kid. Can, and if you look at Ken Palm, the metrics, how how involved he is with Baylor's offense, he plays significant minutes, and he's yeah. really turned it on as the year comes on. He, To me, it was easy for freshman of the year because his contribution to a, a really good Baylor team. Yeah. Um, Where are we at? Oh, how about most improved? I think this could have been a very interesting one of multiple ways. I went Isaiah Brockington from Iowa State. If you look at his stats the last couple of years when he was at Penn State, decent player, okay, but his number is almost doubled this year at Iowa State, and he's a massive reason why they're even in tournament contention this year. So you and Phil, Phil had Isaiah Brockington from Iowa State as well. Um, I had a little bit different, not just from like last year, but really from the beginning of the season to now. I went with Christian Brown from Kansas. He, I thought at one him. at one point last year he had he was pretty good had some good numbers but this year especially at the start of the year it was all the Abaji. really and then that month of December going forward to now he and Abaji averaged like twenty points a game in the month of December so his progression from the start of the year to now has been incredible so I'm going with Christian Brown from Kansas for most improved player yeah I thought about that Phil I know you're back uh, hopefully these issues are hopefully cleared up now yeah most improved I went Isaiah Brockington from Iowa State Peyton went Christian Braun um, who do you got for most improved I am with you Josh I have Isaiah Brockington uh, scoring's a little bit up shooting is much improved and uh, yeah just uh, think he's way better than he was last year coach of the year to me this was an easy one Easy. Mark Adams. Yeah, yeah, we're we're all in alignment on that. And Mark then uh, first team, who you guys like? I went with Oche Abaji, James Akinjo, Isaiah Brockington, Kevin O'Banner from Texas Tech, and Kendall Brown from Baylor. I went with Oche Abaji from Kansas. 
uh, Christian Brown from Kansas, James Akinja from Baylor, Adam Flagler from Baylor, and Bryson Williams from Texas Tech. This one was maybe the toughest one for me. I just didn't feel like there was a lot of forward talent in the Big 12. It's a it's a very guard-heavy league. But uh, I went Abaji, Isaiah Brockington, and then uh, Bryson Williams from Texas Tech, Timmy Allen from Texas. And then we've I've sort of ripped on him, but I had to put him in here, David McCormick from Kansas. Just like I said, there was not a lot to choose from forward-wise. Um, up next, man, we got the Pac-12. And... This one, you know, I'll fully – I don't see these guys as much as I see a lot of the other guys with all these late tips. So this one was tough for me. Yeah, I think player of the year, you could have went with any of the combination of the Arizona kids, but I went with ben, uh, Benedict Matherin from Arizona. Yep, yep. as did I. I think it's a clean sweep on that one. For our defensive player of the year, I got uh, Christian Coloco, also yep, from man. Arizona. Fifth yep. efficiency, first in blocks. I'm interested on uh, this next one because I think we all three may throw somebody different in here. Uh, who you guys got for freshman of the year? Peyton, I'll let you um, first volley. Yes, I got Harrison Ingram from Stanford. You and Phil took the exact same. Me and Phil talked about this pre-show. You guys took Harrison Ingram. I went Peyton Watson from UCLA. That's another, yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, I I just like Harrison Ingram, that size that he has on the wing. It feels like Stanford every year gets like one freak athlete just surrounded by a not great team. Um, so maybe one of these years they'll be able to put it together and get three or four and actually make the tournament. But uh, most improved, I think this might be the most improved player in the nation, to be honest with you. Uh, I got Terrell Brown from Washington. Uh, you led, t- go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just say led the conference in scoring. Uh, yeah, only averaged seven a game for Arizona last year, so huge jump to 21 a game. Top five in assists. Uh, just a huge, absolutely huge jump. I'm with you. You talked me into this one. I was thinking of a couple of other people, but you talked me into Terrell, or Terrell Brown, and I'm with you, man. I have a different one, actually. I got Isaiah Mobley from USC. Mobley from last year, he averaged 9.9 points per game. Now he's averaging five, roughly about 15 points per game. Um, and he was playing and, his brother's shadow last year, too, on a good USC team. Absolutely. Not only, not only that, but his assists went up to 3.1. His rebounds went up to 8.5. His free Damn, throw percentage. That's a from, good pick. I can't on, believe I didn't think about that. His free throw percentage alone went from 54.4 to 70.3. So I am going Isaiah Mobley, Evan Mobley's mother, from USC. The that's a damn good pick. I did not even consider him. Yeah, honestly, I didn't consider him either. And part of the most impressive thing, like you guys said, is just stepping into that increased role without his brother there. Um, you know, the defenses are going to be doubling him, and he's been awesome. Coach I of the year is a roundabout. I mean, that's it's a yeah. clean sweep, right, Tommy Lloyd? Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably national coach of the year. Uh, yeah, he's a candidate for sure. But I agree. All right, and then on our uh, first team, who you got, Josh? Um, well, I've got three Arizona kids. I've got Ben Matherin. I, I cannot pronounce this kid's name. Azulis, oh, tu, Tubulus, Tubelis. Yeah, uh, something like that. <laughs> Christian Coloco. And then I go Johnny Juzang from UCLA and Terrell Brown. I had Benedict Matherin from Arizona. Um, Azulius Tubulus. Yeah, the name Josh just said. I'm not going to try it. From Arizona. Isaiah Mobley from USC, Terrell Bond Jr. from Washington, and Johnny Drazon from UCLA. 
Yeah, I low-key left him off because I didn't even want to try to pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's That's Terrell. some cook-level shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, I got Terrell Brown Jr., Benedict Matherin. Uh, I wanted to give him more love and maybe consider him for even player of the year, but Jabari Walker for Colorado is really, really good this year. Um, Isaiah Mobley and then Christian Coloco. Um, next up, I think we maybe have the deepest conference talent-wise yep. in the nation. The best. The Southeastern Conference. Josh, who's the player of the year? Um, brother, he's the national player of the year, too. Oscar Sheboy. You can't tell me any different now. Especially what he did to Florida yesterday. Wrap that son of a bitch up. Yeah, I'm for sure on board with that. Peyton? No comment. No, I'm kidding. It's Oscar Sheboy. It's Oscar Sheboy, of course. It's got to be. And the same with Defensive Player of the Year. Like, it, me and Phil talked about this off air. If you want anybody different, you're just doing it to be contrarian. Walker Kessler is the Defensive Player of the Year in the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I seen something the other day that he has more blocks than, like, 71 teams in the country or something on his own. He's the <laughs> best shot blocker that I've personally seen and remember since Nerland's Noel. That's Noel. Yeah, and if you wanted to even go a year further back, Anthony Davis, but yeah, um, yeah, no, I think you could definitely argue either of those guys. Uh, for freshman of the year, I had Kennedy Chandler. Um, I was telling Josh this before the podcast. I was shocked. Evan Maya has him as the best defensive player in the country this year. Um, but in the SEC, he's second overall in efficiency. Uh, he's fifth in assists. He leads in steals. Um, way Tennessee's been playing lately. I just love Kennedy Chandler. I went with Jabari Smith from Auburn. I would, I'm with you. I've debated on Kennedy Chandler, but Jabari Smith is – he's a stud. No, and, and I love Jabari Smith. I think he's going to be the better NBA player, but just strictly on what they've done this season, I uh, I think Kennedy's carrying more for Tennessee. Um, for – for most improved, uh, this one, he was good last year, but I think he's just been a ton better, and he's taken on a ton more for him this year. I love Jalen Williams for Arkansas. It's a good one. Like I did with the Big Ten, I'm going to do it here with the SEC. It's got to be Oscar Shibuya in my eyes. Same, same. Uh, it's got to be him. Just for the fact alone that he can hit consistently, you feel good about him hitting a 15-, 16-foot jump shot. Yeah, you got to come out and guard him now. I mean, he's That's money. And I definitely – I he wasn't one of the ones I forgot about. I did look at Oscar. Um, I, I think maybe I'm penalizing him a little bit because we all knew he was capable of being a monster even when he got recruited to West Virginia. Um, and Coach – or uh, yeah, Coach Kyle has just, you know, sort of managed to unlock it. Coach of the year. There's there's as many as like five coaches that you could have chosen yep. from. And, Phil, uh, we talked about this off air, right? We talked about the top four dudes. You could go eat, you could flip a coin and you'd be okay with either four. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you could practically flip a coin really with every coach in the SEC and you wouldn't be unhappy with getting whoever you got. Tom Green. Shut uh, up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, I would say flip that. Hey, I'd say flip that damn coin again. That would exactly. Count. Go get exactly. a new coin. Fuck. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I got Rick Barnes. Yeah, that's a good one. I got Bruce Pearl. Yeah, I went with Brucey as well. They're predicted six preseason SEC. Um, they've been number one for a handful of weeks in the year. They're potential still one seed. I know he had some talent, but like I said, they were predicted sixth in the conference preseason. So I got Brucey. 
Not by me. Yeah, well, I hold a personal bias against Bruce Pearl for his uh, being a piece of shit to Illinois. So, you know, I should too for playing Louisville like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Fuck Bruce Pearl. I'm going with Bonds now. And again, we talked about it being the deepest conference, probably as far as talent goes. So, first team was a was a tough one here. I'm I would take of, this. I would take this first team, the starting five, against anybody in the country. Absolutely. I a thousand percent agree. You could about put this first team in the NBA and be competitive. Yeah. And um, but I got Kennedy Chandler, Scottie Pippen Jr., uh, Jabari Smith, Oscar Sheebway, and Walker Kessler. Ooh. So you I completely forgot about this fifth guy, and then you reminded me, and I felt dumb as shit because I've beat his drum for the last two years. But I've got Oscar Sheebway, Jabari Smith, JD Note. Walker Kessler and Scotty Pippen Jr. over Ty Ty Washington. I had Ty Ty, and then you said Scotty, and I was like, "How did I forget Scotty?" <clears throat> Scotty Pippen Jr. is tremendous. Yeah, I got Sheboy, Jabari Smith, JT Note, Kennedy Chandler, and Scotty Pippen Jr. And then I just wanted to make sure we gave some love to the other conferences. I mean, we obviously don't have time to go through thirty six or however many fucking conferences there are these days, but uh. I put together a little best of the rest, and we'll just see what you guys think of that. Um, for player of the year, I went with Darius McGee from Liberty. Second in the nation in scoring, fucking 45-39-88 shooting splits. Just unbelievable player. Uh, multiple games over 40 this year. Josh, we've talked about him a bunch of times. I know you love him. Oh, absolutely. Um, defensive player of the year, I went with a guy uh, kind of in your neck of the woods that I think you guys will both be familiar with, Jamarion Sharp out of Western Kentucky. Uh, 4.6 blocks a game. Probably could have argued uh, Chet Holmgren for Defensive Player of the Year as well, but I went ahead and threw Chet in as the freshman of the year. Um, most improved, I went with Yuri Collins out of St. Louis. Led the nation in assists, but doubled up his scoring from last season, only playing five more games a minute. Um, you know, 11 points, eight assists a game, pretty impressive year. Um, coach of the Year. It's a program we've beat their drum all season, like you said, Matt McMahon and Murray State. I, I think he's destined for bigger things, if not this year, than very, very soon. Yeah, I completely agree. And then uh, first team, we went Darius McGee and Antoine Davis out of Detroit Mercy. You talked to him, or uh, talked to Jim Coyle about him last week. And I'm going to do my best on these names, but uh, Fardaz Amik out of Utah Valley. Uh, under the radar, putting up an Oscar Shibway type season, 18 points, 14 boards, just an absolute monster. Um, they're talking about him being a late first round pick, too. And then we got Norchad O'Meara from Arkansas State, sort of just another beast down low, 14 and 12 a game. Um, just, just an unbelievable player. And then uh, I had to throw Chet in on being the center just because, you know, how awesome he has been this past month. I definitely wasn't sold on him coming into the year. But uh, he's kind of proven me wrong, I have to say. Yeah, I agree with all that. I completely agree with all that. Peyton, anybody that you like in the mid-majors that you want to shout out? or? Um, I mentioned him at the beginning of the year. He's kind of, uh, before the season started, I kind of let people know. And I think Josh talked about him uh, maybe last week, Georgia State. Um, Corey Allen plays for that team. He's one of the, he's probably, I think he's still the leading scorer last time I checked. He's averaging about 14, 15 points per game. Um, I was waiting on this kid before the season even started. Had a couple of chances to watch him earlier in the year. And this kid can hit shots and just, I hope Georgia State 
can find a way to make the tournament. We'll see. Probably not, but Georgia State and uh, Corey Allen from there is one of the guys that, you know, is one of my favorite mid-major players to watch this year. Okay. So this may be the most excited I've been for any segment that we've ever done um, in honor, or I, I, should we say in honor? <laughs> Of, of Coach K's final home game. I don't know if you yeah, guys Yeah, you heard. might as well. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, some people did this throughout the week, kind of went through the best players that Duke's ever had, and we thought it would be sort of fun to go ahead and do like a snake-style draft and come up with just three starting fives and uh, see, you know, who would come out on top. So how do we want to decide the draft order on this, guys? I don't care. We can go youngest to oldest. I don't care. That's, that's fine. Peyton, me, Josh, and then back through. Yeah. Yep. Let's go. So, right, so I Peyton, get started off. Who is the uh, number yep. one overall Dookie? I'm going with, kind of talked about it yesterday. I don't give a damn. He's one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. J.J. Redick. Damn you. Damn yeah. you. I, I cannot argue with J.J. Redick. Um, I have to say I'm happy that you took him number one overall because it, uh, it leaves my number one pick on the board. Probably one of my favorite players of all time. Um, I think he's underrated because all the injuries he ended up having in the NBA. But uh, Grant Hill. Grant Hill <sighs> was LeBron before LeBron. Um, yeah. Just an unbelievable player. Uh, and especially at Duke, you know, one of the most successful careers of all time. Just absolute beast, Grant Hill. So since I'll get the back-to-back picks here, I'm going with uh, uh, my starting point guard can run off the two guard as well. I'm going Jay Williams. Tremendous. I think he's a two-time All-American, national champion. Uh, would have had a great NBA career had that incident not happened in Chicago. I'm going Jay will at my point guard. And I'm going I, – I don't know if I want to go big. or I'll just go with the guy who got this Duke program rolling. Jay Billis will tell you about it. If it wasn't for him being recruited, that this, team, this program would have never taken off like this. I'll go Johnny Dawkins. Oh, man. I didn't think anybody was going to have Johnny Dawkins in here. And obviously that was was stupid of me to think, but uh, happy to see he's here for my second pick. I may be overdrafting him a little bit, but got to have a winner on your team. Like Shane Battier. Damn you. My only two guys I wanted to make sure I got were Grant Hill and Shane Battier. So I'm happy now. I'm actually kind of shocked that this dude is still available. Give me Christian Leitner. Hmm. I kind of suspected he may be the number one overall pick, but. I'm honestly surprised that he's still available. So give me Christian Leitner. My next pick, I need a point guard. I think this dude leads or is Duke's all-time steel man and assist man maybe, Chris Duhon. Damn, that's a good one. Oh, yeah, Chris Chris Duhon is a a winner for sure. Um, There's so many good options that Chris had. You, You talk about point guard, shooting guard. There's so many different combo guards that he's had that have been great. Um, I'm going to stick in that pool of guards, and uh, I'm going to go Trajan Langdon. Ah, oh, damn you. That was who I was going with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was kind of the first, like, great three-point shooter that they had. Um, you know, the Alaskan assassin. Just love Trajan Langdon. Damn you all to hell. Um <laughs> All right, give me a sniper from wing that was a national champion, played with Jay Will and all them, played with Battier, uh, spent a long time in the NBA. His dad's a coach. Give me Mike Dunleavy. He's a he was a three and D before the top or the the term was it really 
thrown around. Give me Mike Dunleavy at the three-man. And then let me get a big, ugly down low. Played on a, the – I don't know. He didn't win a title with them, but he was there in 99 when they got beat by UConn. Former number one pick. Give me Elton Brand. Damn you. Good one. Good one. Um, so Elton Brand was going to be my pick if he was here. But uh, I'll take Mark Williams next. Current oh. Mark Williams. Um, just love what he brings to him at center. I feel like Duke hasn't had a lot of those long athletic, you know, super defensive centers. So I'll take Mark Williams. So these are my final two picks? Yes. Like, yep. All right. Let me get uh, – I'll get this guy. Let me get – I need a wing player, two-way player. He can score and he can defend. Give me Jason Tatum for my small forward. Um, since Josh took Mike Dunleavy from me because I was going to pick him, damn it. Um, and as my center, I have like three different options here. I think I'm going to go with Marvin Bagley. Oh, okay. okay. Interesting. Interesting. And I I'll, like I could be wrong on this. I kind of consider Leitner a center for them. Yeah. yeah. So I think it comes down to me and my final pick. Um, this is tough. I need – I'm considering Trajan Langdon a two-guard. Um, so I'm going to take Tyus Jones as my point guard. I just uh, – you know, maybe didn't have the best statistics, but just a winner. I love Tyus Jones. Okay, so my final pick, and I could go a multitude of ways. I'm down between two dudes. It just depends on which way I want to go, and I'd feel wrong if I didn't take one. I'm going to say mm, – mm, mm, mm. I'll say Danny Ferry. He scored the most points under Coach K at a 58-point game, what it was back in 1988, I think. Teammates with Jay Billis. Um, part of those really good teams in the late 80s, early 90s for Duke. Uh, I'll take Danny Ferry because he, him and Mike Dunleavy can kind of play a hybrid 3-4 role. I'll slide Elton Brand to the 5, and I'll have a shit ton of scoring. Maybe not the most athletic team. We'll be a below-the-rim team, but we're going to be able to put 150 up on you. So we did not talk about this beforehand, but real <clears> quick, <throat> everybody throw in just one guy, sixth man, sixth man any position. Actually, Peyton and I were talking about this actually a couple days ago about doing it. Oh, um, my sixth man, I need a backup point guard. Um, a guy that I was looking at since Josh took Jay Williams from me. And uh, so it left me with um, Chris Duhon. I'm going to go with Nolan Smith. Yeah, Nolan Smith, John Shire, anybody from that era you can't go wrong with. Um I kind of have a struggle between two guys I love that were both wings. Um, Brandon Ingram, just yeah. I, I thought he was going to be an absolute stud when he came to the NBA, and he's sort of turning into that. But I think I'm going to go with Jabari Parker. Um, if it hadn't been for the injuries, Jabari Parker would be one of the best players in the league right now. He was unbelievable at Duke. Um, you remember the hype surrounded him, that whole class too? Yeah. Him, Andrew Wiggins, and uh, Julius Randle. Yep. Listen, didn't – if I recall correctly, he had that first big game against Kentucky and Julius Randle, didn't he? No, we played Michigan State that year. Uh, uh, Kansas was... and Andrew Wiggins. Yep. yep. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. And real quick, I don't know if we let people know this or not. At least this is, this is how I did my starting five lineup. I was going off players when they played for Coach K. For Duke, Duke. yes. Not Duke NBA. Going, not NBA yeah. career. That's why I didn't pick Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Like, no, I, I did the same exact thing. Yeah. I, it was based I did off con- college. Yeah. I did consider – 
their NBA a little bit, but it was no, it was tough college for me as well. Well, for my six man, I definitely need some type of inside interior force. Um, he's a national champion. He only spent the one year at Duke, but he had a tremendous first year. Was going to be the number one overall pick in the draft until Carl Anthony Towns came along, and that's Jalil Okafor. He was he was one of the centers I was thinking of. Yeah, I was just considering him last night for my centers as well. Um, just a shame. He kind of just came into the NBA in the wrong era. You know, if he had played yeah. maybe 20, 30 years ago, he'd probably be a 15-year multi-time all-star. Your guys' yeah. teams are screwed. We can score the ball, I'm telling you. <laughs> Jay so, Will, Johnny Dawkins in the backcourt, Dun- Dunleavy and Danny Ferry picking and popping, Elton what? Brand going for 25 and 10. Get okay. out of here. And Listen. see, I think – I got Tyus locking your guys down. Trajan Langdon's going to bang They couldn't threes. stay in front of Jay Will. Tyus is locking down everybody. And then I got the best player on the court, Grant Hill. So, and ultimate winner, Shane Battier. I don't even need to go through there. Ultimate winner, Shane Battier. I mean, we're, we're a national title team. Three year, <clears throat> by the way, Shane Battier, defensive player of the year, three years in a row. Unreal. Hated Listen. the guy when he played, but. Listen, I got defense. I can hit shots. I got one of the greatest. I got the one of the greatest three point shooters of all time, JJ Redick. And not forget, I got the two of the most hated Duke players of all time, Christian Lane and JJ Redick. Get the fuck out of here. And two of the most clutch. Two of the most clutch as well. Absolutely, exactly. (laughs) But that's a credit, though. Over its forty years, I mean, you could we could have done this with fifteen people doing a draft. Everybody had a great team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, literally. Of the 208 players he's had, 175 of them are really, yeah. really, really good yeah. like name brand players. Yeah. So hey, if, we, if we got down to the bench where we start getting like eighth, ninth man, you could still had a team with like Josh McRoberts as your ninth guy and have been completely okay. Yeah. Or yeah. Ryan Kelly. Like play, play or the Plumleys, like or the Plumleys, yeah, all those fucking Plumleys. Yeah, yeah. Like what? Seven generations of Plumleys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, you know, every week we recap the games. This week's going to be no different. I know we're cramming a lot of content in here for you guys, but uh, any specific games you guys want to get into to start? Well, um, we already talked Duke Carolina. Go ahead, Peyton. Let's go ahead and talk about the other rivalry. Let's talk about Indiana Purdue. Purdue won the game at Mackey 69 67. Purdue was up at halftime 39 29. By one point, I think in the first half, they were up. About maybe 10 points, 8 points, 10 points around there. Then Indiana came storming back, made a run there late in the second half, on the first half to keep it close going into the second half. I just really want to talk about that final possession, though, because oh Xavier Johnson played really well in this game. 18 points, 12 he, assists, he kept Indiana rebounds. He kept, he, he kept Indiana in the game. He kept their head above water in this game for not getting blown out. But that final possession... Travion Williams goes to the free throw line. He clanks two free throws back-to-back. Indiana's only down, what, two points at this time? Yeah. Yeah, they're down two points. They have a chance to either win the game or send it to overtime. And Xavier Johnson comes to the left side of half court. I don't know who was guarding him. I don't actually remember who was guarding him. He tries to pretty much draw a foul from basically the half court line. In my eyes, this is what I'm thinking he's trying to do. He's trying to draw a foul. That way he can go to the free throw line to end the game with three free throws or at least to tie it up with two. But in that situation, there's like seven seconds on the clock. Or I'm not no, maybe, no, no, maybe no. Maybe a little there, less. Yeah, there was like 3.4. But, but he still had enough time for like 
a couple dribbles. Yeah, he could at least got to the three-point line. He didn't have to pull up and try to draw a foul at the half-court line because you're not going to get that call on Mac Arena. Not with that close of of a margin. And a big-time decision like that, no chance on how you're getting that call. So I don't know what he was thinking. The first mistake I think he made was dribbling to the damn sideline. They had no yeah. timeout, so it's not like he could dribble and call a timeout. Keep the ball in the middle of the floor to create more options. The second thing Inan did wrong – why did they not do the drag screen? I, maybe they were afraid that Purdue would have jumped it and then you would have never got a shot off. But you could at least try to uh, drag screen. Even if you don't want to put TJD, Race Thompson could have hit a drag screen and um, try to free him up. But why are you trying to pull that at the late game, trying to draw a foul? Indiana, they have no, they have no ability to finish a game out. They've... Yeah. In all intents and purposes, they could have easily stole that game. And if they win that game, they're in the tournament yet again, solidly in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, huge road win. Um, like Peyton said, he was just never going to get that call. You're not going to get that call in Mackey. There's no way in hell you're really going to get that call pulling up from where he did. I mean, it it's a basketball move, but they, they know you're trying to draw the foul, so they're not going to give it to you. Um, I feel like we've talked about this a lot at the end of games and not just with Indiana, but just with teams all over the country, just not having a good, you know, play set up for the end of the game. We've talked about uh, Auburn multiple times with Wendell Green Jr., you know, just sitting behind a screen and not doing anything. Um, it's It's been a more noticeable problem to me maybe the last three or four years of just horrible end of game possessions. Yeah, I can't figure it out, man. Um they did. I'm not going to say they deserved a win, but they made a rally. They got themselves back in. And, and you don't want to harp too much on Xavier because without him, like we said, Indiana's not in that position at all. He's been really good the last eight, ten games, like really good. But that was a terrible final possession that just sums up Indiana's season. Purdue, though, I know it's a big win. It's a rivalry game. You got your dub back. But, man, their, their final defense – in the last eight, six, eight minutes of a game, they've got to get better. They could see an early exit, and I love this Purdue team. Yeah, I feel like we keep kind of giving Purdue the benefit of the doubt, even though they, you know, they've played a lot of close games against teams that they probably should have blown out. Um, like you, you brought up the defense; it's been an issue all year. We've kept expecting it to improve, and it just hasn't. And I think at a certain time, we just have to, you know realize that this team is what it is and it's not, you know, it's not going to be able to make any huge strides on defense. Um, Got to give some credit real quick to Miller cop though. Uh, Jim Coyle talked about it. He started to play a little better too. He had four threes yesterday against Purdue, 14 points, four, six from the three point line. Trace Jackson Davidson up with 15 and six rebounds, but Indiana yet again, played much better when he was off the floor during that stretch, they were down, whatever it was, 15, 12 points. And he goes out and Indiana makes that run. Like we talked about with Jim last week when we posed the question, Indiana seems to play better when they don't have to try to force feed him the ball all the time. The guards have more confidence turning downhill. They run that dribble weave handoff where a guy turns and they put shooters in the corners. I know it's so weird because TJD's obviously their best player, but I almost think it's a hindrance at times. Do you do you? You just mentioned it. Do you think that's actually the reason when he's off the floor it allows Indiana's guards like Xavier Johnson, Bob Fantasy, and everyone else to be able to have more confidence to shoot an open shot or create opportunities themselves? You think that's the reason? Because I remember a couple weeks, maybe it was about a month ago, a couple weeks ago, whenever Phil joined the show, he was talking about 
this with Imani Bates from Memphis. He was talking about how when Memphis made a run, they was doing it without Imani Bates. You think it's like a similar like comparison between like Imani Bates from Memphis and Chase Jackson Davis with Indiana? I think there's something to it, man. Um, like I said, I, we keep going back to talking to Jim because he's more connected with Indiana than we are. He thinks it's just personnel, but he also did agree that they look better without TJD on the floor. And I think it does have something to do with taking the guards out because they're just so conditioned to pump the ball inside and the four out one in offense, pump the ball, pump the ball. And Trace, yes, can go score. But that takes everybody else on the flow because they're just feeding him and then they stop moving. When he's off the floor, the guards know they have to go create, not only for themselves, but for teammates. And everybody continually moves without the basketball, setting screens for others, and it gets everybody else in the flow. If I'm Indiana going in this Big Ten tournament game against Michigan State this upcoming week, knowing you have to win, you're not going to sit TJD. But I'm thinking the first possession or two, if you see how it works, I try to use TJD as a dummy and try to get Xavier and Miller Cop, Parker Stewart, Rob Fennessy, get those guys going early and get their confidence up. When you guys both touched on it, um, you know, Peyton, you were talking about that comparison with the Imani Bates thing. And although they're completely different offensive players and, you know, their skill set, they both are pretty heavy ISO players, like Josh mentioned. You know, you're really, TJD is not going to be out there catching the ball in the high post, facilitating doing any of that he's he wants to get down on the block you're going to toss him the ball he's going to take two dribbles and and you know go over whichever shoulder which i'm i'm you know not hating on there there's a place for that but it's just it's hard to get into an offense or a rhythm offensively when like josh said all you're doing is literally okay come down the court pass it to tjd and and there's not a whole lot more to it than that so i do definitely think that uh you know there's something to what both of you guys are saying about them being better without him uh maybe not overall as a team, but just at times offensively, there's so much focus on getting him the ball, letting him do his thing that I think it and does I'm, take other guys out of what they're doing. And, and there's no, we love Trace Jackson Davis. I'm yeah, no, absolutely. We're not hating on him. But yeah. the kid, he's a junior and still so reliant on his left hand. He's an easy guard for a, a team like Purdue that has all these bigs that just set on his left hand. Just set on it because he does not want to try to finish with his right hand. And remember coming in the year, the the we kept hearing from practices and we seen a little bit in exhibition games, maybe even some early in those blowout cupcake games where, oh, TJD, you know, Mike Woodson's got him shooting, you know, 15-foot jump shots. He's going to open the floor up. Since conference play started, how many times has you have you seen Trace Jackson Davis try to shoot a jump shot? Whether he makes or miss it, just to shoot it and make the defense play him honest. Well, and what you just said is the biggest factor, whether he makes or misses it, it's, you have to just make them play that shot. If they know you're not going to take it, then there's, of course, they're not going to fucking defend it. Look at Oscar. I know he's making them like he's turned into a really good mid-range shooter, but look at Oscar, whether he makes or misses now, the defender has to play him for it. And when they do, he's got the ability to take you off the floor and TJD's a better ball handler than Oscar is. Just take a few to make the defense have to play you tight. It opens it up for yourself and your guards. That I was just about to say, and it spaces the floor for your guards, which you know everything is so packed in for Indiana when teams are trying to stop TJD right now. If you go back to recent years, talking about Josh's point about he only wants to use his left hand, TJD-wise, if you go back to recent years, like even guys like other left-handers who are big men, like Julius Randle from Kentucky, even Zion here recently with Duke, 
Those guys were mostly dominant left-handed. They only want to go to the left and finish with the left. But the difference between them and Trey Jackson Davis is they had physical attributes. They have what Trey Jackson Davis doesn't have. So the fact that he's not physically um, tough, he's not had the physical attributes that Zion does or Julius Randle does, he has to either develop a jump shot or learn to go to his right hand, especially as a big man. Yeah, he just doesn't have anywhere near the explosiveness of either of those other guys you mentioned, and that's the, the big factor. Completely agree. So, we had a couple other big ones yesterday and throughout the week. Uh, of course, some other conference tournaments I know you want to get to, but hey, I know you're leading the show today, Phil, but do you want to go to the SEC matchup between Tennessee and Arkansas? Yeah, yeah, I have uh, another game from yesterday I want to talk about as well after that. Um, Tennessee dominates this game early. I mean, they put a hurt. Tennessee, I put it out on our Twitter. You can go to our, our Twitter page at ECB Podcast 10 if you're not already following. Put a tweet out early in the first half. When Tennessee's hitting threes like they have the center this last month, and the way they defend, this is a Final Four to caliber team. Yeah, it was a it was a tale of two halves, for sure. I think Tennessee started out like seven of eleven from three. They were just hitting absolutely they everything. Finished, they finished twelve of eighteen. Wow, but uh, they were up fifty to twenty nine at the half. Only ended up winning seventy eight seventy four. Arkansas, you know, got back into it at the end. Um, just Tennessee, man, it seemed – you saw it in the second half, complete opposite of the first half. When they can score, they can score. But, God, do they look terrible on offense at times. And that's the that's the thing, right? I mean, you go back to Texas Tech, you go back to whoever, they have times where they struggle. The three ball opens everything up for them. They're not a very good two-point shooting team unless they're dunking the ball. If you force them to run them off the three-point line – and protect the rim, if they have to shoot that 15 to 18-footer, they are very beatable. But if they're rolling from three, man, they are as good as anybody in the country because you know they're going to lock you down defensively more times than not. Yeah, not only that, talking about Tennessee, I still think coming into this year, like I was high on Tennessee, I didn't predict to win the SEC conference. Then after that Kentucky, that first Kentucky matchup, when they get absolutely annihilated in Wepelina, and they were struggling against teams like Texas Tech and stuff like that. I was being a little bit down on them. I was like, this isn't a Tennessee squad I expected coming into this year. Then after that, they started getting rolling, getting some wins under their belt. And then they just beat Kentucky Hugh recently. And now they just got another top 25 big matchup against uh, Arkansas. My thing about Tennessee, or my biggest concern about Tennessee, is consistently finding a scoring option other than Kennedy Chandler. Now, this game, Zakai Ziegler stepped up. He had, let me look at it real quick. He had 13 points, six assists, five rebounds. Santiago Frascovi was the Kempon player of the game for this game. He had 15, four, and four. Josiah joined James at 12, two, and seven. So if they can consistently find someone other than Kennedy Chandler to help him out with the scoring load, then I can still see this team with the defense and Brick Bonds is a hell of a coach. I can still see this team getting the Final Four. It's just they got to find a consistent scoring option other than Kennedy Chandler. Arkansas, they uh, they make that furious comeback, came up short. They're still so dangerous, though. J.D. Note, 20 points. Uh, Stanley Amude, 15. Chris Likes off the bench, the, the Miami transfer, 15. Jalen Williams had nine. He wasn't nearly as effective as he has been here recently. But Arkansas, take away that first half. This is still a dangerous Razorbacks team, and it's all – my fear with Arkansas, we talked about last week after they beat Kentucky, 
JD Note has to play well for them to to be great, but he's played well more times than not here in the last couple months. Uh, Arkansas still so dangerous in my opinion. Yeah, sort of to play off what both of you guys said, because I feel like Arkansas is the exact same problem that Tennessee has, is just finding a consistent scoring option outside of J.D. Note. Um, and yesterday, you know, Note did end up with 20 points, but it's been that same thing that we talk about with him, about, you know, efficiency. He's only 6 for 20. Um, I know one of you guys texted me about it, but that 3 he took at the end of the game, no reason to rush that 3. Just absolutely no reason at all. Um, he just... He's the kind of guy who's capable of winning you as many games as he's capable of losing you, and that's what worries me with them. You got yeah. to real quick, Peyton. You got to give right. take it with uh, consideration too. Arkansas was without arguably their best defender too. Odis Tony did not play in this game, and they still only lost by four. You makes you wonder if they were able to pull this one out despite everything. If Tony was there to help with the defensive load against Vescovi and Chandler. Yeah, and you mentioned the JT Note shot because I was the one who messaged you about it. I was like, what is he doing? It was like eight seconds left on the clock. He drives down to the right side, the right wing, shoots a contested three with like eight seconds to go, and you're down like 77 to 74. Like, you could either, A, if you wanted to get a three, you can set up a, some type of play, a little quick hitter to get a, th- a better shot than that. Or with like eight seconds left, you can just drive to the lane, get a two-pointer, make Tennessee – Either try to get a steal. If you can't foul them, make them hit free throws. Then with like three or four seconds, then you, if you have to take a three, take the three. Just bad decision-making on his part. But, yeah, Arkansas, I'm still high on them. I think they can get, potentially win the SEC tournament. Yeah, I'm ready to talk about that after we get done with Phil's game. Before we get to Phil's game, before we talk about conference tournaments, um, fellas, seven minutes to go in the game, Memphis 68, Houston 46. The Tigers are a team that's in the tournament. You're not going to want to see. you got to give – Penny Hardaway, a shit ton of credit for this turnaround. Yeah, I think Dan had him as one of uh, his last four in, but I have a feeling after this Houston dub, that'll change and they'll, you know, be probably on the 10 seed line. Um, yeah, this is the Houston team we were expecting to get at the beginning of the season, uh, even without Imani Bates. They've Memphis. shown some versatility. Memphis. Oh, excuse me, Memphis. I'm sorry. Um, this is the team we were expecting to get at the beginning of the season, even without Bates. You know, they have versatility offensively. We're, we've talked about how good they are defensively. Um, like you said, props to Penny Hardaway. Yeah. What's that game you wanted to get to before we get to the conference tournaments? Uh, huge game yesterday between Texas and uh, Baylor. All right. Gosh, man, Kansas. I'm just – yeah, I'm literally just walking all over myself. But uh, first of all, I just want to talk about how hilarious it was that ESPN mismanaged that shit to the point that they, they had to split screen that game going to overtime and the Duke-UNC game to start. People were – I thought you were going to say how hilarious it was that I predicted a Texas two-step this week and they lost both games. <laughs> that's Yeah, I'm glad. I predicted yeah, them to lose both games, so I'm happy about it. Yeah, but, there you uh, go. Smart man. Kansas secures a share of the Big 12 title with that win yesterday. Them and Baylor split. Um, McCormick steps up with a huge game, 22-10 and 10 on senior day, and uh, they didn't get much out of really anybody else. You know, Jalen Wilson had a nice game, but Abaji, one of 11, only eight points. Uh I'm just curious, you know, Peyton, you being a Kansas fan, what's going on with Abaji lately? seems like he's kind of – is he tired? What's the deal? You know how many points he had with, like, two minutes to go uh, at the end of the regulation? You know how many points he had? I think it was, like, two, he, wasn't it? Two points. I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know. Like, that's why I said earlier, like, when my most improved, like, I'm glad Christian Brown has started to step up. Or Christian Brown, Yeah, Christian Brown is starting to step up. 
here recently, but in this game, he didn't really play his best. He, I mean, th- he had 13-11. He played okay. But really, David McCormick was a star of the show, 22-10. and 10. I don't know what's the deal with Chayabashi. I think mostly teams are starting to hone in on him, make him more of a scoring threat, or make him hit outside shots instead of driving to the lane and dunking on people and getting wide-open layups. Teams like Texas, Baylor, um, Kansas State, TCU, all those teams in the big, inside the Big 12, they're starting to just key on him. Like, hey, we're going to make someone else beat you or beat us besides him. And it's starting to take a little toll on him, I think. So that's what I think. I don't know. Hopefully you can get a figure out going into the Big 12 tournament and inside the NCAA tournament. But I, I don't have the answers for it. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, if Kansas is going to make any kind of run, he's got to get it figured out. Um, you know, it was a, a big dub for them yesterday, winning it despite, you know, not getting any production out of him really. But 0 for 5 from 3, like you said, teams are starting to just make him take those bad threes, kind of wall him off from getting inside the paint. Um, Josh, you got anything? Um, I think I'm, I think I agree with Peyton. Uh, uh, then they're like, we're going to take him away. They need Brown. They need Wilson. They need Dewan Harris. Um, they need a lot of those guys to step up and they haven't consistently. So I'm with Peyton full, full fledged on that. And I think that that's a big reason why I don't trust Kansas getting to the final four. Yeah. And you still seen it yesterday in a game when, you know, Abaji's not playing well. They need somebody like Rennie Martin to step in and give them some production and still just, Two points, one of three shooting. I, and I, I know he's not fully healthy, but but still, some, just some sort of production. Well, Josh talked about it yesterday uh, when me, him, and Tyler Cook was hanging out for his birthday. He told Tyler, well, listen, a guy like Remy Martin, you know he's had kind of an off year this year. You only need really six games to in the tournament to go off. And he's one of those That's players right. that can absolutely do that. He's done it before at Arizona State. He just needs to... I don't know, injury-wise, whatever it is, he just needs to get together because he can do it for six straight games. Completely Absolutely. agree. Hey, guys, um, I know we're about to get into the conference tournaments. We already talked about um, the Ohio Valley being punched. We're a minute 59 away from Longwood. The Lancers taking, I think, their first ever NCAA tournament bid. They're up on Winthrop 75-58 with just under two to go. So it looks like Longwood's going to win the Big South Championship unbelievable job by Griff Aldrich there. That's one of the harder jobs in uh, NCAA. This will be their first NCAA tournament appearance. So congratulations to the Lancers, like you said. Yep. Um, Do you want to talk about the Missouri Valley? That'll be coming up here just shortly. Championship of that. We alluded to it with uh, Dan Vasta, but we have four-seeded Loyal Chicago, two-seed Drake. Um, Phil, what you thinking about that? Who's getting their bid punched? Ah, man, I got to go with Loyola here. Uh, been a better team all year. I think the season series they split. I know Drake stole no, one of them. No, no, no. Really? Drake, uh, Dan, Dan said that because we'd forgot about it. Drake swept them. Oh, okay. I knew Drake beat them for sure. I just th- I thought you were about to tell me that Loyola swept them. Um, but I'm going to go no. with uh, Loyola here to get off the schneid then. Hard to beat a team three times in a year, as they always say. Hell, it's all it's hard to be a team two times a year, let alone three times a year. <laughs> so I'll go a little Chicago on that one as well. Man, I don't know. Yeah, beating them three times is a tough, tough task. But there's something to be said about knowing that personnel, your your defensive game plan. I think it's gonna be close. Um, the Missouri Valley always gives you a gift on this Sunday. I'm going to say Drake yep. gets them, man. I'm just going to say Drake beats them for the third time and punches their bid. 
I think that they just know that they've got the advantage. They know Loyal is going to be pissed off. They've got to try to win to get in the tournament. Of course, Drake's got to win to get in the tournament. And I think because of that, Drake's going to – they're going to sweep them. I, I've got Drake winning the Missouri Valley. Yeah, like you – Arch Madness is, is one of the better events, you know, mid-major events that happens. Uh, people get excited for it every year. I heard a couple of bracketologists yesterday actually saying it was on their bucket list. So definitely a big oh. game today. Uh Good. So I was just going to say, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, so I'm sure we're probably not going to go through every single conference. So do you just want to get right no. into the power conferences? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead and just do that. Um, let's go ahead and just start, you know, sort of alphabetical, almost like we did with the, uh, you know, the awards. What do you guys think with the ACC? I've got the bracket pulled up here because, again, tournament time is all about matchups for me. Um, yeah. Of course, Pitt lost college, Clemson, North Carolina State, and Louisville and uh, Georgia Tech's in that first games on, I think, Wednesday or Tuesday. Tuesday, Wednesday. I can't really tell the way this bracket's uh, on Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday, yeah. The, the way everything's shooken up, Notre Dame ended up getting a two seed. So Carolina bumped themselves up to a three, not Miami, because that's good for them. So they could meet Duke in the final as opposed to the the semifinals. I don't know. I just see Duke because their path to victory would be they're going to play the winner Florida State Syracuse. They'll beat either one of those teams. Uh, then they'll play more than likely either Miami Wake Forest. They'll beat them more than likely. So I've got Duke coming out of the top. The bottom could be interesting. Um, I don't expect Louisville to get hot, but it's probably going to be North Carolina and Virginia in the quarters. And then the winner of that's probably going to play Notre Dame. Maybe Virginia Tech, but probably Notre Dame. I'll just say we'll get a, it's the easy way out, but the way everything's shaking up, note or the ACC so bad this year, North Carolina's playing better. I'm going to say we get a Duke Carolina for the third time and Duke's super pissed off and just beats their ass this time. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a safe bet. Uh, one thing I do think is interesting is if you look at NC State, who's the uh, 15 seed bottom seed in the tournament, I'm not sure that a 15 seed has ever had an easier run to the semifinals. They'll, they'd have Clemson in the first round, Virginia Tech in the second round, and then Notre Dame in the quarters to get to the semifinals. Um, all three, honestly, winnable games. I mean, Notre Dame is second in the ACC, but just overall looking at them as a team, it's not like they're you know the quality of the usual number two team in the ACC. Um, not saying they're going to do that by any means. I just did think it was interesting that, uh, not the toughest road to hoe for them. I, I kind of like Notre Dame actually to steal this thing. Like you said, I think oh. it's a pretty safe bet that we see Notre Dame and UNC in the semifinals. I'm not so sure about Miami advancing the semifinals, to be honest with you. But, uh, I've been hearing a little few whispers about Mike Bray possibly retiring. I know that came up last year as well. Um, so I just think Notre Dame's going to be fired up. Yeah, so who you got winning? It? Who do you got winning it? Right. Yeah, no, Notre Dame. Okay, so you do have Notre Dame beating Duke then in the final. Yes. Interesting. Okay. I have the opposite. I have the same matchup. I have Duke actually beating Notre Dame in the final. I think Duke's pissed off at that Carolina game, and it's going to motivate them, get their ass ready to go. I'm sure we've all seen Coach K what he said after the games. Like this is unacceptable. I'm sorry to yep. the Duke fans and Camlin. So I'm sure he's probably pissed off. He probably lit a fire. He probably already lit a fire in their ass. It's go time for them. I think they're winning the ACC tournament, no matter who the hell they face in the final. Hey, real quick, before we move on to the Big East or Big 12, whichever one we're going to next, 
is this the worst? Is this the worst ACC tournament that we've seen in the last fifteen years? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And then couple that with the fact that it's going to be in Brooklyn too. I I think it's not probably not even going to be sold out. Like you're going to see some pretty empty games there. Um, Yeah. And moving on next, let's just uh, let's go stay in New York City. Go to the mecca though in the the Big East tournament. I don't see anybody making the kind of run that Georgetown made last year and just completely, you know, blindsiding us. I do think there's probably about, you know, five teams. You could go as deep as Marquette that could win this thing. Um, You mentioned it when we talked to John Fanta. He liked Seton Hall. It's going to be hard for me to pick against Villanova, though. I just They're loaded at the guard position. They have the experience. Uh, Yeah, I like Nova. So I'm going to give you a surprise. So I love the Big East, and I love the fact that the Big East is good again this year, and it's in the garden. It brings back a lot of nostalgia. For Seton Hall, though, their run, they're, they're playing that first day in what, or on Wednesday against Georgetown as a 6-11. That's an easy one. Then they got to play UConn, and then they'd have to play Villanova and then probably Providence. That's a tough road to hoe. I'm going to say UConn as the three seed because there is something special. UConn fans travel so well, especially to the Garden, the fact that St. John's, of course, will have a great presence there. But without like the old powers like Syracuse there to take over as well, UConn dominates the Garden historically. UConn's playing a little better. We've talked about Sonogo, RJ Cole and company. UConn's going to play Seton Hall in that second game. If they get by them, they're probably going to play um, Villanova more than likely, right? I think they upset Villanova, and if they do that, they're going to beat Providence in the final. So I'm going to say UConn, because of the fan support in the Garden, UConn's going to win the Big East tournament. I think that what's that enough for round three of Marquette, or not Marquette, Villanova for Providence. Villanova swept them in the regular season, beat them both times. Um, close games too, with I think one by five points, the other by two points. Um, it's hard to beat a t- beat a team, like I said earlier, it's hard to beat a team twice in the season, let alone three times. So I think Providence gets revenge and wins the Big East tournament by, by beating Villanova in the final. Man, how happy would Friar fans be to get a regular season Big East title and a conference tournament title in the same season? That would be huge for Providence. Yeah, that would, uh, that would lock up for sure Ed Cooley as coach of the year. Oh, yeah, definitely. And never buying yep. a drink in Providence, Rhode Island for life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to uh, Kansas City and the Big 12 tournament. Um, you know, Kansas has obviously their fan base close by with it being played in Kansas City. Um, the opening round, we just have K-State and West Virginia be – Gosh, man, it's it's crazy that the worst team in the Big Twelve was was a uh, you know bubble team a couple weeks ago. But I like Kansas to beat the winner of K State Virginia. I like Kansas to run all the way to the end here. Uh, looking at the bracket, I just I like the matchups that they get. I think they can beat Texas or TCU in the semis. Um, yeah. I'll go next. I have Kansas playing Texas Tech in round three in the final. Both of those two games were incredible. Um, Texas Tech won the first matchup, um, and then Kansas got revenge later on in the season to beat Texas Tech to tie the series up. It's 1-1 now. Kansas versus Texas Tech. 
Uh, I think with it being in Kansas, I'll give the edge to the Jayhawks. Kansas beats Texas Tech. Uh, yeah, I've got Texas over TCU. I'll have Kansas beating K-State. Um, Baylor over Oklahoma. T- Texas Tech over Iowa. It's going to be chalk, essentially. That semifinals, I'll have Kansas over Texas. I'll have Texas Tech over Baylor. I don't know. I'll say Kansas just because it's in Kansas City, but I think Texas Tech's a better team right now. But I'll I'll say Kansas. Yeah, I I do like what Texas Tech's doing, and I like Texas Tech ultimately to make a a better run in the tournament. But, like – like we both said, I think the deciding factor is just it being in Kansas City, basically a home game for Kansas. So I think we're uh, in agreement on that one. Want to move on to the Big Ten? Big oh. Ten is is going to be a dogfight, just like it was for the regular season conference title. I mean, we had four or five teams, you know, right there down the stretch. Peyton, let's start with you. Who you thought? Who you like? Uh, has a blackie came out for the Big Ten? Not official yet because we still have a couple games wrapping up today, okay. but it's basically set. Okay, I was gonna say I couldn't find it, it just showed the standings. Anyways, oh damn, I think you know what, Phil, this is for you. I actually think Illinois is gonna win. Like actually. I'm a huge fan of Andre Cabello. Kofi Coburn is a fucking monster. And I'm a huge fan of Brad Underwood, which he co- which he coached at Louisville, but he doesn't, unfortunately. Um, so I'm gonna go Illinois finding Illini. Well, your wish may be granted before long. Um, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if he's in contention for that job, but we will see. Um, yeah, like brackets not out, like you said, but uh, I don't like Illinois at all. I, I think that we could potentially see a, a semi or quarterfinal loss. Just we've kind of struggled against the better teams in the Big Ten. Um, I like Iowa to sneak up on people. You know, it's sort of that you know, thing I go with in the NCAA tournament where if you have the best player on the floor, I think you have the advantage. And I think Keegan Murray is going to be the best player on the floor in most cases. Um, Man, this is a tough one to pick because Wisconsin is going to be the one. Can Indiana string it together? They're going to have to get some wins, but historically they're not good in the Big Ten tournament. Illinois is going to avoid – I think Illinois is getting a three seed, I think. Are they a three or two? Because that that'll may change a lot. But um, without seeing the bracket officially, I'm gonna say Purdue. I, I'm gonna. There's something I don't know. There's still something about them. They've won this tournament before. They know how to do it. They're gonna have to win a couple games, of course. But I think Purdue wins it, man. I've got them, especially if they end up getting a rematch Wisconsin in the final. We talk about it, right. It's hard to beat a three t- or beat a team three times. I'll say Purdue wins the Big Ten tournament. And your question about Illinois seeding, I think they could still slide between the two or the three, just depending on how things finish. But, uh, yeah, Purdue is a great pick. Uh, Are you still skeptical of Purdue's tournament chances, Josh? Uh, Yeah, just because of that defense. I got you. I got you. Moving on to Las Vegas, we do have a bracket out for the Pac-12 tournament. It's going to start on Wednesday. Uh, Arizona State-Stanford, first matchup. Oregon-Oregon State, Washington State-Cal, and Washington-Utah. Uh, like we talked about in the Big 12, I think this one's going to be pretty much chalk. Really don't see any of those first-day teams making a run. Um, 
I kind of like Colorado to maybe knock off Arizona again in that semifinal. Um, I'm going to step outside the box and say Colorado steals a bid. I'm going to step outside the box as well, but it's on the bottom side of that. USC is going to play Washington more than likely. They'll blow them out. They'll get a rematch again with UCLA. They'll beat them, and then they're going to play Arizona in the final, and they're going to beat them after Arizona throttled them last week. Um, I got USC taking the bid. Yeah, I have USC beating UCLA in the semi, even though UCLA just beat them uh, last night. Uh, I still think USC is a very talented squad, and they're going to be Arizona in the final, so I agree with Josh. And uh, our last Power Six, we got the SEC. Josh, this is the one. This, last... this is the one I'm looking forward to. Well, there's one thing I want to touch on a little bit, it, just because it threw me off, and it may have thrown some other people off. We talked about it a little bit last week, but why Tampa? It just they've had it there prior. It's been a few years. Normally, it rotates between Atlanta and Nashville. It's like a that one year, a few years back, they had it in um, Kansas City or whatnot. And um, I don't know. It's just they've had it there before, but not very often. So I think it's just part of that rotation. It's a destination spot to go. This is kind of spring break time. So I think it's kind of one of those areas. But, man, I am so looking forward to this damn tournament. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't even think of the spring break aspect of it, actually. That makes a lot of sense, too, with a lot of uh, kids from campus making spring break trips. Give them a little destination to go to. That is uh, probably spot on. But – the, the Ole Miss-Missouri game, I'm not sure you could pay me to watch that one, I'll be honest. But outside of that, you got a ton of good games. Um, I'd rather like, watch that one than Georgia-Vanderbilt. See, at least in Georgia-Vanderbilt, you got Scottie Pippen Jr. Th- that's you, true. You, that's true. You got at least one true. good player you can focus on. But, uh, but when we get down to that second round, dude, all of them games are up for grabs. And I literally mean all of them. Yep. So, who do you guys like coming out of those first-round games, though? Ole Miss and Vandy. And yeah. You, you talked about I it think. with Matt Sack last week, or uh, yeah, last week, couple weeks ago, whenever it was. I'm sorry. Um, but Vanderbilt has the potential to make a run with how good Scottie Pippen Jr. is. So, um, do you do you want to hear my second round? Do you want to see how this breaks down, in my opinion? I, I do. So, eight, the 9-8 matchup. I've got that's a, Florida's playing for their tournament life, but Texas A&M's got a very physical um, style. If Florida can get by that and combat the physicality, I've got Florida winning that to go on to play Auburn. LSU is going to play Ole Miss. LSU, as long as they don't try to shoot a bunch of threes while they're up twelve with a minute to go and kill themselves, <laughs> LSU is going to win that. Mississippi State South Carolina is a sleeper game because they are so close. South Carolina, you would think, oh, well, whatever. They finished towards the the top mid part of the conference. Um, that's a that's a tricky one. I've got Mississippi State still because I think overall talent, but South Carolina is sneaky. And then I have Vanderbilt, Alabama. What do you think about Vandy knocking off Alabama? Because I do. They'll, they'll suffocate them. Alabama, unless they hit a shit ton of threes, you know how Jekyll and Hyde they are. I've got Vandy knocking off Alabama to play Kentucky. Then you have the quarters on that Friday. I've got Auburn playing Florida, Auburn barely winning. I've got LSU, Arkansas. LSU had them dead to rights in Arkansas the other night. They had them dead to rights. I'm going to say LSU knocks off Arkansas. 
I've got Tennessee beating Mississippi State, Kentucky beating Vandy, and then the semis, I've got Auburn taking down LSU, Kentucky taking Tennessee, and then we get the rematch we've been waiting for. And then this time on a neutral floor, the Cats take down Auburn with a healthy squad. Kentucky wins SEC tournament. I'll be honest, you've kind of sold me on this uh, Vanderbilt beating Alabama thing. So I think I'm on that train too. I think Vanderbilt runs out of gas in that uh, quarterfinal game against Kentucky. I like Arkansas to knock off Auburn in the semis, Kentucky to beat Tennessee, and I like Kentucky over Arkansas in the final. Mine, I got Auburn beating whoever it is, Florida or Texas A&M. I'll probably say Texas A&M. They beat them. Um, I have Arkansas beating LSU in the quarters. I have Tennessee beating South Carolina in the quarters. I do have Alabama beating Vanderbilt in the second round. And I have Kentucky beating the living dog shit out of Alabama for the third time this season. Kellen Grady, by the way, will hit five threes in the, or more in this game. He will go off. Um, so my semifinals, or no, yeah, semifinals, I have Auburn versus Arkansas, Tennessee versus Kentucky. I think I'm going to go to Phil. I'm going to have Arkansas beating Auburn again. Normally, if it's a close game, I always go down to who has the best player on the floor. In my eyes, it's Jabari Smith. But the question is, will he get the ball or will yeah. Wendell Green get the ball? <laughs> That's it, yeah. I'm not 100% sure. I know who's getting the ball for Arkansas, JT Note. That's a give great Arkansas, point. Give me Arkansas to the championship game. Kentucky pushes Tennessee. I'm going to go with the Cats. Kentucky gets it done, beats Tennessee in a close one. Then Kentucky versus Arkansas. I'm a huge fan of this Arkansas squad. But I'm going with Kentucky. Kentucky New- wins the championship. Keep in mind, we're on neutral floors from here on out. The Cats, yeah. they ain't got to worry about the road calls. And they've not got blown out on the road. They've been barely – this again, you guys should know by now, we're 103 episodes in. I'm not, I'm not being biased or anything. Neutral floor, Kentucky's better in all those teams. Maybe not by much, but they're better on a neutral floor. And I'm so excited for this SEC tournament. We talked about how disappointed we are in the ACC and some of these others, the Pac-12. This SEC tournament is going to create fireworks. I'm so excited for that. Yeah, I think of all the conference tournaments we uh, just discussed, you you have the deepest tournament there. Um, Honestly, anybody is 9 and 10 deep could win it, theoretically. Uh, I agree with what you said. Kentucky does have the best team, particularly on a neutral floor. Which is why I think we're all, you know, loving their chances of making a deep run in March as well. I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say loving. Well, your excitement level though for this SEC tournament between a one and a ten. Nine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with ten. This is the most excited I've been for a conference tournament since the old Big East. Yeah, ten. It's so good, and we've talked about it all year, right? No matter who wins this. It doesn't change the fact that SEC is probably going to get seven teams in and all seven of them's got a chance to make Sweet 16 and beyond. That's yeah, true. totally agree. And uh, I think it was Goodman posted the other night that uh, they'll probably have at least six teams in and all of them will be six seeds or higher. Yep. Uh, real Boy, quick, I'm so excited. Real quick before we wrap things up and get into our shout-outs, uh, we're already into the semifinals of the WCC. But just curious, uh, no games today. We have uh, the semis tomorrow. What do you guys think what happens is, there? First of all, I think it's the dumbest tournament layout <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, the the stupidest 
tournament layout I've ever seen. Especially but, a one-site tournament. I could understand if you're playing on teams' home floors, but all these games have been in Vegas. So dumb. Um, I mean, Gonzaga's <laughs> going to win it. We talked about it last week. Yeah, I think I predicted uh, outside of Gonzaga, Santa Clara has a chance, and uh, they knocked off Portland huge last night. Um, I think Santa Clara takes down St. Mary's and then uh, gives Gonzaga a good run in that final. Not going to say I they're going to win it, but it'll be tight. I, I can't remember. I think I picked San Fran, didn't I? I think I picked yeah, outside of Gonzaga. I think I think I picked San Francisco. Yeah, they looked good last night. They looked real good last night. They did. Yeah. I was I able to watch some of that. Um, before we get the shout outs, though, real quick, we are bringing about bank on it. Peyton reminded me and kind of got on me. It's a long time segment we've done from day one. We haven't really done it since uh, we've changed the format with the team, but we're bringing it back. Phil, for if you're not familiar with it, bank on it's essentially you you one bold claim for the week and you ride with that son of a bitch for good and bad. One bank on it that you're confident in. So because you're the newcomer to this, I'm gonna let you hit your bank on it first. I'm not allowed to uh, bank on something that happened last week though, right? Because that UNC win would have been pretty damn good. <laughs> no, yeah, good. You're, yeah, <laughs> you gotta you gotta look ahead to this upcoming week. Um, bank on it. Duke will not win the ACC tournament. I like it. I like it. Peyton, I'll let you take it. You're historically Why? bad at this, so. <laughs> no. Listen, fuck you. Second of all, all right. Well, okay, fine. I'll go. Now I'll go next. I'll go next with my bank on it. Um, let's see. There's multiple ways I can go. I can maybe bank on Louisville winning the ACC. Won't happen, so I'm not going to do that. I could bank on Kentucky losing. In the SEC, wish it would happen. Probably a likely chance it could happen, but I don't think it will. Very likely. So therefore, fellas, what March? What what month are we in? March, March. baby. Who's Mister March? Tom Izzo. Who's he coach for? Michigan State. Fuck Michigan <laughs> State. Bank on it. Kentucky doesn't win the SEC tournament. Okay, so I'm gonna go in a. <laughs> <laughs> you want month of March you want month of March madness and it's gonna kill a lot of bubble teams like Indiana and company in Florida unless they can make runs and win their tournament. We're going to between now and selection Sunday, we're gonna see three count them one, two, three bid stealers that shouldn't happen. Oh my god. You you have uh, fans of bubble teams all over crying right now. Watch it. Three that's, of them. That's I like worst not, case scenario. I'm not going to say which conferences because I'm not 100%, but you're going to see three of them being stolen. Maybe one right here with Drake. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, both of those teams, I don't even know if that's a bid steal at this point like we talked about with Dan. I don't think Loyola's done enough to get in if they do lose that game. Crazy I know how man. highly they were ranked all year and how much people love them, but it's just they, that uh, little stretch in February they had kind of killed their uh, at-large hopes. I think i'm i'm there with you i think as well but uh let's go ahead and give the shout outs man yeah let's go ahead uh i think you have to start them off man it's kind of the honorary thing all right well i appreciate that um well i'm going to stay with the state of kentucky but man regardless what happens here in a little bit in the sec final they, they'll probably lose to south carolina but you gotta shout out Kyrie elsey and ryan howard and the kentucky women's team Eight in a row after that stretch where they've seen themselves play themselves out of the tournament, they started two and eight in conference play, and they've won their last nine in a row. 
Ryan Howard is projected the number two pick overall in the WNBA draft right now. Maybe could even get to the overall number one pick. She's a superstar, and they've been red hot right now, taking down LSU, taking down um, Tennessee last night. They're going to give South Carolina a game. I don't think they'll beat them, but they're in the tournament solidly, and they could, depending on matchups, I love that saying, but they could make some noise in the tournament for Ryan Howard's farewell. So you got to give them a shout-out. Um, how about shouting out State in the state of Kentucky, Murray State? It, all the pressure was on them. Um, you know how the tournament goes. I think they would have still been an auto bid. I'm sorry, not an auto bid, an at-large bid. Had they had lost a, a Moorhead yesterday, but they completely sweep through the Ohio Valley, and they're as dangerous as any team in America this year. Would love that Murray State Racers team. So got to shout out them. And I think my third and final shout out, I, I've debated on this. And I'm going to go back to it, man. They just blew out Houston. I'm shouting out Penny Hardaway yet again because we rail on him so much that this turnaround's been remarkable. And you don't want to play Memphis in the NCAA tournament. I promise you that. Yeah, I only got uh, two of them today. So I'm just going to go ahead and get them knocked out here. Let Peyton finish us up, but I got the uh, NC State women secured the uh, ACC tournament title, beat Miami sixty to forty seven today, and uh, first time they've won the tournament title and the regular season title since nineteen eighty five. Should have locked in a number one seed, and uh, I think definitely have the potential to be a national champion. And then uh, my next one is Bellarmine. You know, we talked about it in the group chat a little bit last night, but shout out State of Kentucky. Yeah, just great job that he's done. Um, you know, they weren't eligible for the NCAA tournament, but still had a chance to play spoiler in the conference tournament. Came up big with a win against Liberty uh, yesterday. And, yeah, shout out to them. Hopefully, uh, I think it's two more years until they're eligible for NCAA tournaments, but they will probably be a pretty consistent contender. Yeah, and, and real quick, hey, shout out Louisville for not even being top five in the state of Kentucky this year. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Maybe I shouldn't have came on the show today. Um, anyhow, back to my show. Going to my shout-outs. I got four shout-outs, and you guys all had a women's one. Phil, I'm kind of going with what you did. I don't have NC State as a shout-out, but I do actually have their opponent that they just beat, Miami. They knocked off Louisville, came back from a 15-point deficit in the fourth quarter, and hit a game-winner against us. So they knocked out us. Then the game after that, they played 3 c Notre Dame. Knocked them off by three points, 57-54. And then, I mean, they, I know they just got beat by NC State, but what a run they had. A shout-out to them for what they did in the ACC tournament. Made it exciting, at least. Because everyone thought it was going to be Louisville versus NC State in the final. But they put a winch into that plans and ended up getting into the ACC tournament final. So shout-out to them. <clears throat> My second shout-out. Let me pull it back up real quick. Up, oh, Kansas. The Jayhawks. For winning or winning a share of the, uh, the conference title on senior night, beating Texas in overtime, despite Otayabaji only having eight points in like 39 minutes he played in that game. Could have very well lost that game. I could have lost a share of the Big 12 title, but we got another win, got another conference title under Bill Self's belt. It's time to build a new house because those conference titles keeps on coming. He's running <laughs> out of room. So shout out to Bill Self and Kansas and all the seniors for that. Next. I'm actually, I shot him out a little bit early. I know it's not really college basketball-wise, but I really don't care. Shout out to our home, Edwin Lancers, for winning the sectional title. 
sectional 62. They're going to be on the show sometime this week so we can talk about plans about regionals and get their opinions on really the last month and the sectional title and how they feel. Also, another member of the group, shout out to Adrian Moss, who's the coach of the Franklin Grizzly Cubs. Former IUPUI Jaguar, former Indianapolis uh, Greyhound D2, <clears throat> played professionally in Canada. Tremendous. Yeah, shout out to him. He coaches the Franklin. He coaches Franklin, and they just beat South, uh, Center Grove last night to win um, the sectional championship in his first year at his alma mater at Franklin. So shout out to him. My last shout out. It's probably my most special one. Shout out to Florida for what they did for Keontae Johnson. Yep. I don't see tonight against Kentucky. They let him dress up. They let him get the opening tip. That is incredible. If you guys know, don't, don't know who that is, what was it, a couple years ago? He collapsed and what, what was it? The, the heart issues, like the cardiomyopathy or whatever <clears throat> it is. Yeah. Yeah, he had a lot of health issues, and he ended up collapsing on the floor and had to be taken to the hospital. And it's on his senior night. It's the last time I put that jersey on. So shout out to them for what they did for County Johnson because that was incredible. Those are my yeah. shout outs. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Hey, guys, I know we went long again, but shit, it's March, guys. We're doing this for the working class people. We know a lot of people like I do when I go back and listen to podcasts and this one. We do it while we're at work or we're working out. So shit, you guys will deal with it. So I appreciate you guys listening this long. Shout out to John Fanta as well and Dan Basta. Tremendous guest. Can't thank them enough. Um, and keep in mind, programming note. Next Sunday is Selection Sunday. Historically, we do not record that night because, A, ESPN, Fox, CBS, everybody's already doing tournament coverage that night. We know you're not going to listen. We do ours on Monday. So keep in mind, no episode next Sunday. But Monday night is the fourth annual ECV Tournament Special Podcast. It will be a long one. We'll have special guests. We will break down the brackets. Bracket by bracket, region by region, will give you all the info you need for upsets, for why teams are going to make it this far, and everything in between. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here at March, and it is time to put on your dancing shoes, baby, because we're dancing the night away. Next Monday, though, will be our ECB annual tournament breakdown show you don't want to miss it if you know how this goes you know we put a lot of effort and stats and thought into it so next monday not next sunday next monday night episode 104 is a massive one for everything college basketball so don't forget to tune into that but wrapping up this show again shout out to the, our guests this week dan vasta and john fanta shout out to everybody who's followed along on facebook twitter and uh, youtube channel with that being said for Phil Dexter, for Peyton Burton, I'm Josh, of course. We hope you enjoyed this long one. But until next week when we do the tournament breakdown, you guys enjoy conference championship week, and we'll see you with some tournament talk next week. Have a good one, guys. Boom! Boom.